Welcome. I am your host, Manpreet, a.k.a. MMA Lock of the Night. And your boy on Twitter at MMALOTN. This week, we're going over UFC Vegas 32 and obviously joined by my guy, Cody Safdick. You guys can find him at CJ Safdick. And we are here propping you up for uh, Vegas 32. As you can tell, this is a special start time. We got a 10 a.m. start time over here, and I'm getting my shit together still a little bit. Cody, we uh were we we had some scheduling issues last week, missed last week. The fans were missing us. Uh how's everything been? And obviously, how do you feel about this card coming up this weekend, brother? Yeah, well, to be honest, in terms of like the live shows that we were doing, I was hitting two, two out of three, two out of three, two out of three, plus money. We're making money, but I just couldn't get the three out of three. And then, yeah, last week, things are really getting hectic for me in terms of schedule, especially with matchmaking these cards. They also want to do back-to-back cards in, like, a two-week span, so you got to try to put two cards together at the same time. Uh, just really busy. But anyways, I just sent you over some picks real quickly, and I went one of three. And I thought, if I mail this thing in and I go three out of three, well, then you know what? The show really doesn't need me. But it was no good. It was a bad performance. And so the only thing we can do is rectify that. And that's get back live, brother, and hit, uh, I'm hoping for a better than two out of three, but at the very least, a two out of three. So I just heard that Aspen Ladd is officially off the card, which is unfortunate. Um, what can you do? We still got a pretty good offering, a lot of good spots that I like, and the majority of it has stuck together the way we like. So knock on wood, weigh-ins are later today. That'll be our last bit of information, but I'm feeling good so far. Absolutely, yeah. It's at least you went one of three. I went all of three on my picks as well. Uh, Nascimento was supposed to get it done in round one, but this guy just completely took the first round off and then decided to get it done in the second round. Uh, I believe my other one was Rodriguez in round two. I thought Parsons would be able to at least survive to round two, but Rodriguez got him out of there. But uh, yeah, hopefully we get some uh, extra winners here now that we got the luck of the live stream as well too. So we'll see how that goes down. Uh, decent card. We did lose that lad and Kiason fight like you're talking about, but we do have a solid serving of 11 fights for us to still go over and we'll kick things off right off the bat with the fight that seems to be the talk of the town amongst the MMA Twitter world we got Deanna Belbitza going up against Hannah Goldie uh in terms of odds this fight probably took most of the action in regards to actually getting uh you know a line from plus 150 on Balbiza to now she's down to minus 110 so we got to pick them and i wouldn't even be surprised if Balbiza actually goes off as the you know slight favorite come fight time now how i see this fight going down obviously Balbiza, we know she likes to strike a little bit wild at times trained by our good buddy cruel down there in hamilton as well obviously uh you know sometimes she before coming to the ufc had her debut in the rxf and was making some good work over there questionable competition but finally comes over to the ufc and shows some poor fight iq especially in her last fight against liana jojua where she came in as a minus 220 favorite had the clear striking advantage and it looked good for about 15 seconds before she decided to clean uh clinch up and then drag the fight to the ground and quickly get caught in an arm bar. So I'm sure a lot of people that had money on that chalky Balbita line were very, very pissed off. And they are probably having some PTSD in terms of playing Balbita this time around. But when you match her up against Hannah Goldie, it looks like Hannah Goldie is just that... Uh, I, I think it was Clint who compared her to like a, a, a much smaller and stockier version of Catelyn Chukagian. And I can't help but agree in terms of her style, just quickly, you know, just moving, uh, distance striking, a lot of kicks from the outside. Maybe they might be off by a mile, but at least she's throwing something and throwing some volume out there. So it's a little bit of a judge friendly style, but I feel as though it might look similar to the Miranda Granger fight where we see Hannah Goldie close the distance, land a couple of shots, but her head's going to be getting popped back by the straight shots that are coming down the middle which is what I'm expecting from Deanna Balbita here. 
I could see a potential finish from Balbita. Uh, she does have some finishes on her record. She seems to have a pop, a little bit of pop on her shots at times. But I got to give Hannah Goldie the benefit of the doubt. She seems durable. She's taken some good shots in the past, and she continues to chug forward. She is coming off a pretty extended layoff herself, but I do think that this is a decent matchup for her to go the full 15 minutes. However, I do lean on the Belbita side. With that said, I think the value is completely gone now. Shout out to everybody that got pl that plus 150 on Belbita. But even with this fight at a pick a mod, uh, at pick a mods, I got to go with the Belbita side of things as I do believe she's going to be able to land the more impactful shots. So, how do we look at this from a props perspective? I believe it's going to go the full 15 minutes. There is a slight chance that Babitza actually ends up getting that TKO, which currently sits around plus 650, plus 700, which I wouldn't mind a little bit of a, a, a sprinkle on considering her wild style. But I think the uh, ultimate way to take this is going to be going to be Babitza by decision at plus 175. That's where I like the most for this fight. How are you seeing this one go down, brother? Yeah, pretty much the exact same way. I mean, we know that it's a pick'em type fight, and so when you can get plus 150 on a pick'em type fight, you jump on Belbita right away. Now that it's even money, that's probably where it should have been lined. Are we are we super confident Belbita? No, but we do agree with the assessment that she was a live underdog, and even at even money, I think that there's a little bit more upside to like there. What I don't like is that she's 11 and one in RXF in Romania, two and five when not in RXF in Romania. She has struggled at this level before. She's coming off a year-long layoff. And the striking, that's her advantage. We're all agreeing that she has the striking advantage here, but she had it in the Joshua fight. She just fought a terrible game plan. Is it because she doesn't like getting hit? Or is it because she froze up in the moment? Well, those are things I don't know. But she's only 25 years old. The year off is going to be really good for a really beneficiary. Um, not only is she working with Crew Allen and Hamilton, but she's working with guys like Adrian Woolley on her wrestling game. Guys like Kyle Nelson is her chief corner. You know, he's been in Las Vegas with her for the last couple of weeks. So they're definitely tying in the entire game for her. And again, at 25, you could see her getting a little bit better now the problem with with hannah goldie is it's the tale of two hannah goldies if the one that showed up on the contender series against callie robbins shows up here we've got a problem man she landed 164 significant strikes most in contender series history she was moving excellent and there was a lot of backpedaling and out striking with balbita she's a little more wild but I feel like if you go back to the Molly McCann fight, that wildness is working early. And then it's like, oh, her timing gets figured out. And then she starts throwing a little bit less. The output falls off a little bit more. Molly McCann works her way back into the fight. Could be a similar situation here, right? It could be a similar situation where she has success early, but kind of falls off the later the fight goes and Goldie's able to pull away. But then you go, tail of two fights. That's her versus Kelly Robbins. Her versus Granger, she's a complete opposite fighter. There's no output. She doesn't want to engage. She looks extremely flustered. Chins up way in the air the entire time. She's coming off a two-year-long layoff. Two-year-long layoff because she pulled out of the Luka Bume fight with injury. The second, the fight with Jessica Panay the first time was COVID-related. The second time versus Jessica Panay, I believe, was injury-related. So she's been on the sidelines. What can you like there? What I go back to as a key thing of why it was the tale of two fights is because Callie Robbins only has a 63-inch reach, right? And Goldie has a 61-inch reach. So those combinations land against somebody like that. She was able to keep her within that range. And when Callie Robbins was forced to come forward, she's able to counter off it. When she fought Granger, Granger's big girl. Granger got a 68-inch reach. That's a 7-inch reach advantage. And she couldn't. She had no distance. She had no timing. She had a very strong inability of hitting anything. And as a result, chin up in the air, she got hit a lot in that fight against Granger. Balbita has a 68-inch reach advantage. So she's 3 inches taller with a 7-inch reach advantage. You're going to see it at weigh-ins later today, and I think that's going to be the difference maker. She's going to have to fight a little more patient than she normally does, but she'll just be able to keep her at the outside of those punches and land, land, land. Now, I agree this thing's going the distance. Oddsmaker's going to agree, too. So, I like fight goes the distance, but at minus 275, come on, come on. You know, it's women's MMA. Anything can happen. It's 275. Don't love it. 
But then that Balbita by decision, plus 175, that I like. So even if she has a, even if she comes out career best performance, she's in shape. The year off was good for her. She keeps her on the end of her punches. She's the superior striker, and she actually fights a proper game plan this time around. There's no discrediting that Goldie is ripped, in incredible shape, and pretty durable. She took everything that Granger should, could take. Only time she's ever lost. Didn't get finished. As an amateur, she lost one time. Split decision. She appears to be durable enough. I would think that Balbita should just be able to win two of these three rounds on the basis of the striking. And, uh, and hopefully squeak one out. So I agree. I got Balbito, Balbito by decision, plus 175. Yeah, all week when I've been breaking down this fight, I kind of overlooked the fact that the uh, Balbito will definitely have a, a big uh, reach and height advantage in this fight, which will definitely play uh, you know, a, a good factor for her. I do want to quickly uh, mention here by Auli, he's actually asking, is there a live crowd for this card? So the UFC is actually starting to allow fans into the apex, not in large droves or anything like that. But I actually secured some tickets for myself to actually go to the August 21st card uh, with Kelvin Gastelum and Jared Cannonier. So what they're having it is they're, they're going to have about 100 fans. 50 of them are buying the VIP package like I did. And then 50 of them are like Dana White's friends and, and people that are going to be coming in. So there is a bit of a crowd but I don't think it's going to play as much of a factor as it would if it were in an, a legitimate arena, uh, you know, a, like a, a pay-per-view that they're going to be doing. From my estimations and from my knowledge, I believe they're going to continue to do the fight nights at the Apex for the rest of the year and then reassess things come 2022 in terms of what they're going to be doing with the fight nights. Go ahead, Cody. I just want to hit my boy Daniel Edwards here because he makes a good comment. <laughs> Balbita definitely has a hole in her grappling, but I, I looked at all of Goldie's tape to see where does she use that muscle? Where yeah. does she look to grapple? She and she just doesn't, right? <laughs> yeah. So it'd be very hard for me to bet her on the basis of she's going to do something she's never done specifically because the opponent's not good at that. And the long layoff, like maybe she shored up that part of her game. She just hasn't shown me enough of that yet. So anyways, shout out to Daniel Edwards. Legitimate question. No, for sure. I, I, even when I was breaking down this fight, I'm like, the, a good way for Goldie to win this fight is just try to grapple, use her strength, close yeah, the distance, yeah. drag this fight to the ground. But you just don't see it historically speaking. So it's tough to say that that's exactly what she's going to do. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got another women's MMA fight. We got Sajar Eubanks taking on short notice. Elise Reed, Elise Reed coming over from the CFFC as a strawweight champion on short notice here, going up a weight class at 125 pounds, which means Sajar Eubanks is actually going down a weight class going back to 125 pounds and trying to make weight which is not usually a good sign for somebody 36 years old and ha who has had uh issues making weight in the past so uh the weigh-ins actually kick off in just less than two hours and i'll definitely be keeping my eye out for that to see what sajara eubanks looks like on the scale now if she looks solid on the scales she's definitely going to be worthy of that minus 330 minus 340 line that she's currently at as i truly believe that she has a legitimate grappling advantage over elise reed here elise reed fought fellow Canadian Jasmine, uh, Jazz Juvicious, I believe her name was, and had a solid performance there, which is where she was able to squeak out a victory and actually capture the strawweight title. I believe she's defended it twice since then, but there's one constant whenever you see her in those fights is that it seems like she struggles a little bit in those grappling situations. I can't count on one hand how many times I managed to see her get caught in an armbar of some sort, and she does remain you know, calm and gets out of those bad positions. But I do believe that Sajar Eubanks is going to be the toughest black belt she's fought to date. So if she finds herself in a similar situation, I believe that we'll see Sajar actually get the tap. However, I think it's going to come a little bit easier for Sajar. I think that she'll have the size and grappling advantage in this spot. And the fact that she's already been going up against women at 135 pounds should translate here and allowing her to kind of dictate where this fight goes. I think she'll have massive amount of success in terms of dragging this fight to the ground, using her strength advantage, like I 
I said, and then started getting that jiu-jitsu going, which should eventually, in my opinion, lead to her first ever UFC finish. I do think that Elise Reed has some good skill sets, especially in the striking realm, but I think it's going to cause her issues once Sajara grapples up with her, clinches up with her, drags this fight to the ground, and then starts using that BJJ on her. My question mark is... You know, it, it's almost a, a myth at this point, actually. Uh, I, I saw my guy Luke sparring from Reality Betting actually debunk this thing that, you know, one of the narratives is that Sajar Eubanks gasses. And it, it, physically speaking and, and optically speaking, it looks like that. But I believe she's only ever lost two, three uh, third rounds in her uh, out of eight. Uh, she's actually gone out there and won six uh, third round spots on judges' court cards. So, Maybe it's just a myth that we're making out of our head, uh, but I do think that it is a bit of more of a concern considering that she's going down in weight now and she could possibly struggle with this weight cut and that could rear its ugly head come fight night. However, I don't think we're even going to need the third round in this fight. I do like Sajar Eubanks inside the distance in the spot. I think it's plus 175 is what I'm looking at uh, and that's the spot that I like here. Just want to confirm that number. Eubanks inside the distance plus 170. I like that spot here. I do think she gets her first finish. I believe within 10 fights it's it's been now since we've actually seen her get a finish, but I think the, the skill discrepancy on the ground is that vast that we'll see Sajar Eubanks implemented and have total success in this spot. Now, am I just speaking out of my ass here, or do you see the same thing here with uh, with uh, Sajar Eubanks and Elise Reed? Well, listen, it's entirely possible. I think we're definitely on the same page. we got Eubanks, assuming that she comes to the scales and looks good. She's coming down from 135 pounds, and she didn't really look out of place at 135. Went 2-4 and four as a Bantamweight, but again, didn't look out of place. It was still strong and physical. At 125, if she can make the weight, she's had a history of not being able to make the weight. She's had a history of her body not reacting well to her attempting to make the weight. That's all cause for concern. But if she does make it, she looks good on the scales. Her at 125 is a problem. Then you look at Elise. Elise is coming up from 115 pounds. So it's not just the case of Eubanks being the much larger fighter. It's a much larger fighter against a fighter coming up a weight class. Uh, it just kind of writes itself. So we, we, we agree in that premise. The one thing that I am going to disagree with you is that I just can't get behind a Eubanks inside the distance anytime, really. I mean, with the least, yeah, takedown defense, definitely a problem. You you mentioned you thought she beat Jasmine, uh, Jasu Vadisi. Well, it? I'm not saying I thought. She I thought did. she lost she all three rounds. She does have a win over her, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm not saying I, I thought she did. I know, I know. <laughs> and if it wasn't in New Jersey, I bet you she wouldn't have a win over her, <laughs> Probably right? not. Because Jasmine took her down like six times, you know, controlled her in all three rounds, had a ton of success with her. The follow-up fight against Jillian DeCorsi, who's 36 years old, you know, has a decent social media presence, actually. Shout out to her on Twitter. Um, but she gets taken down half a dozen times in that fight, too. In fact, it's a close fight. Takedown defense is a problem. So we're agreeing that Eubanks is going to be bigger. We're agreeing that Eubanks is probably going to get those takedowns. The, the one thing that we I think we're going to disagree on here is you think there's such a big BJJ discrepancy that Eubanks is going to put on some, you know, killer performance to get the finish. And while I do will admit that is possible... Eubanks has never submitted a, an opponent in her professional career. She has effectively zero submission victories, and she has two TKOs. Oh, yes, the last time she TKO'd an opponent was when she defeated Amber Lynn Orr, a debuting opponent, five years ago. So just because there's this huge discrepancy, I don't, I don't think it's as easy as she's going to finish here. Um, Elise has never been finished. She's fought, and she's still developing. She's still you know, improving. But as an amateur, I believe she got armbarred. But as a professional, she's undefeated. I, 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 this is what I think is going to happen, okay? Eubanks gets those takedowns, and whereas she might be able to style on her and snag up a submission, even though she's never submitted anybody, even though she could, you know, lay on some ground and pound and get a stoppage, because she's made this big weight cut to 125, she's not going to try to overexert herself and get a quick finish. Because if that quick finish was to not materialize, she's going to gas down and her body's going to shut down on her. 
I think she's going to score these takedowns and just establish pressure. Way too heavy on top, way too grinding of a pace, and just take this girl down, grind on her, tire her out, similar to the Julia Avila fight, get your takedowns, establish top control, and just don't let this girl go nowhere. You don't gotta smit her, you don't gotta land any devastating ground and pound, but you're gonna secure the victory. I could see it more so going that way. So initially I was like, ooh, I'm taking this over one and a half all day. Think that Reed's good enough to get out of the first? I think the Reed could survive that first one and a half. If she does get caught eventually, it's just going to be like, oh man, Eubanks is not going anywhere and is in great shape. For sure, fine. But it's minus 250 on the over one and a half. So there's not enough meat on the bone there. So I, I think the only thing, I, if I was going to bet this, and from a prop standpoint, I'm really leaning towards an entire pass on this, is that Eubanks by decision was like plus 120, plus 130 on some books. Um, I, I just see her grinding. Listen, she's 6-6. Six and six. She's in her mid-30s. She's never submitted an opponent professionally. Although, yeah, she has a submission win on The Ultimate Fighter. Not enough for me to like confidently be like, oh yeah, that's it. But I, we, we agree that she should win, and we're very interested in seeing what she looks like on the scale today. Yeah, I do want to quickly uh, just correct what I said in terms of uh, Eubanks and her third rounds here. I'm actually going to read it directly from uh, my guy Luke's uh, tweet here. He said, uh, Eubanks has officially won the third round in five of her eight UFC fights two of the three that she didn't against Kohea and Ladd were uber competitive as well. So that's just a little bit more factual in terms of that uh, that myth that Eubanks potentially gasses the later fights goes. Continue, Cody. Uh, yeah, but so then if you look at her, she lost to Penny Kianzad, which she lost the third round. She lost to Kevin yeah. Vieira, which I believe she lost the third round. And then the losses to Kohea and Ladd, they were competitive, but she lost both of those third rounds as well. So those are her losses. So to say, oh, dude, she won the third round in the Avila fights, like Avila did nothing. Terrible. Well, she won the third round in the Sarah Moross fight. Okay, all right, that was expected. Or Ro Roxanne Modafferi, Laura Murphy's pretty dope, but again, that's three years ago. And then prior to that, there's nothing you can go off. So uh, it's a pretty cool, it's a cool stat. Oh, she doesn't gas out. Look at the times that she wins the third round. Dog, I just watched the tape, and I can tell you she's gassed <laughs> out. The, the opponent's probably gassed yeah. out too. Okay, sure, yeah. the opponent's gassed out. But look, she's gassed out, okay? Maybe yeah. she won the third round, but. Anyways, uh, that's that's the one thing with stats. You still got to look at the tape at the end. Of the absolutely, day. absolutely. All right, let's move things along here. We got Julio Arce making his return, coming back and going up against Andre Ewell. In terms of odds, we got minus 210 for Julio Arce and plus 175 for Andre Ewell. Now, this should be a fun striking battle between two guys that like to let their hands go. Uh, Julio Arce, obviously, target showman trained. We always drop those names. The Shane Burgosses, the Lime Goods. You know, th th that seems to be the, the, the hot spot for these guys that are solid strikers. Because now it doesn't seem like their uh, effectiveness is really playing out in the cage, especially with Shane Burgos on a bit of a slump right now. But Julio, hopefully, Julio Arce can go out there and train, change the trajectory of these uh, the, these fighters and and uh, have some success for these guys. Uh, it's not a good look that he's been out since UFC 244, which was the same night that we had the BMF title on the line. So that should just put into perspective how long ago it's actually been since Arce has been inside the cage. But I feel like that the, that this is a good matchup for him to go out there and get that. Uh, uh, get a W back uh, onto his record. If you guys remember, he's coming off a split decision loss, if I'm not mistaken, to Hakeem Dewadu last time around. Very close fight, very clinch-heavy fight that seemed like Dewadu was getting the better of in most spots. Uh, but when Julio Arce is truly on, he lets his strikes go, and he has competitive fights, and then could potentially find finishes similar to his fight against Julian Arosa before that. Um, I think for him to have success here, he's going to have to get some takedowns, possibly. Uh, 
I know historically speaking, he's not really a leg kicker, but you got to believe that he watched that Chris Gutierrez fight and he's like, mm, let me just chop down that lead leg of uh, Andre Ewell and that should slow down the speed because that's one advantage I believe Andre Ewell truly has in this fight is that hand speed. His one-two down the middle is very, very nice. And I, I find it interesting that people kind of hate on him quite often, which I don't really understand. He's a talented fighter, especially when he has a solid matchup, uh, uh, stylistically speaking. But here I feel as though he's going to struggle against Julio Arce, who, you know, I believe has the grappling advantage. I believe has the cardio advantage, too. We've seen Andre Ewell definitely slow down later in fights and start to give up that distance management, which he does so well early in fights. But once he starts, you know, being the guy that's on the back foot, starts gassing out, We, me and you know both, if you're spending your entire fight backing up, you tend to gas a little bit sooner. And that that's exactly what happens to Andre Ewell. Prime example being the Irwin Rivera fight, where we saw Rivera at an extreme size and reach disadvantage being able to close the distance easier in the third round and landing his bigger shots. Julio Arce, I feel like, is going to pressure him a little bit here, get his hands going. And again, like I said, historically speaking, he's not a big leg kicker, but you got to believe that he has to adapt that a little bit here, especially with the reach and uh, size difference that he's going to have to be dealing with with uh, with Ewell here. Uh, in terms of the odds, the, or sorry, the, the props, um, I'm a little bit uh, stumped in terms of how this is going to go. I could see some potential violence, but I think ultimately we're going to see RSA win this by decision, which currently sits at plus 125. Just my, my only concern is the fact that he's been off for as long as he has. And, you know, you can believe in ring rust or not, but dealing with a crisp and fast striker like Andre Yule is going to quickly wake you up inside the octagon. And I'm not sure if it's going to be too late before he actually realizes it, but hopefully uh, Arce can, you know, wipe that uh, rust off pretty early in this fight and then get back into his game, get back into his groove and Again, stylistically speaking, I think his striking style is much better compared to what you was going to be be bringing to the table here. So I do like Arce. Arce by decision, plus 125. That's going to be the side that I'm leaning with. How are you seeing this one go down, brother? Yeah, I'm hoping ring rust is not a factor at all because if it's not, then Arce should be able to go out there and cruise on him, I believe. And when we talk about ring rust, you know what? Maybe it's not a real thing. Dominic Cruz is pretty adamant. It's not a real thing. And you and I have been speaking about the last number of weeks. There's always a guy in the card, whether it be Claudio Puelas, whether it be Yargis <laughs> Danho, whether it be, whether it be Rick Glenn. And yeah. then last week, we get Misha Tate. These, these layoffs don't apparently mean nothing. You know, you stay in good shape, you stay healthy, you train, you add new skills to your game, you come back as a better version of yourself. And I believe Arce can, can do that. I believe part of the reason he's been off is he got both of his elbows uh, surgically repaired yes. or at least had some work done. So, again, that's all cause for concern, especially because you need you to extend full on those punches, man. This guy's got a big reach. You're going to have to get inside that distance. Uh, but, again, I just think that he's better in pretty much all areas. In terms of the striking, whereas that is playing into Ewell's wheelhouse and you do have to worry about the jab, Arce is an accredited kickboxer. He's also a former Golden Gloves boxer. I mean, solid guy all around. And I know what you're saying. It's like, I wish he'd kick more. I wish he'd kick more. But if I'm in the gym, I'm taking on this big, tall opponent, I think I'd go over to my old buddy, Jimmy Rivera, and say, Jimmy, you're five foot four. How do you fight these bigger guys? Jimmy would be like, buddy, take the leg out. And just yeah. exactly that. And if this thing was to strictly stay a kickboxing fight, I think Julio Arce would still be able to go get the victory. Listen, he was ultra competitive with Hakeem Duwadu through three yeah. rounds. I mean, that was a very close fight. Um, the fact that he can go out there and perform at that level, you know, the fight with Arosa. Arosa's a big, tall guy. He doesn't use his reach at all in that fight, but, you know, he fights a taller opponent there. And you see by the third round, that combination capped off with that left high kick over the top. It was like, oh, this guy is surgical with his approach. Meanwhile, Uwo, he lands a lot, 
and he uh, fights off his back foot pretty well, and he has that reach, but he, he robbed Jonathan Martinez, who backed him up for the large majority of the fight. Irwin Rivera, a split decision victory over him, in which he definitely won, but Irwin backed him up for a large majority of the fight. And then his last time out against Chris Gutierrez, he got dropped by a high, uh, head kick in the first round. Uh, sorry, he, he, gets, he, gets, he gets hurt a little bit in the first round, and then after that, it's just like he starts to fatigue, the forward pressure Gutierrez is not good for him. When he's taking on a guy like Arte, my argument would be this is actually a better opponent than the last three guys he's fought, which is, you know, he's moving up the ranks, fair enough, even though he's coming off a loss. Uh, this is a much tougher opponent. When it's Arce, it looks like they're kind of getting his feet back wet. So let's say the layoff is affecting him. Let's say the surgery is affecting him. And let's say the striking isn't actually good enough. Well, that's when you mix in the takedowns. This guy's got a good ground game. He's solid on top, solid BJJ. And I think his wrestling would be good enough to go ahead and those, get those takedowns. And then last, but certainly not least, because again, we got to wrap up the show before weigh-ins caps off. Arce is going back to 135 pounds of this fight. I mean, he'd been fighting at 145, and he fought Hakeem Dewadu tooth and nail at 145 pounds. Now he's going down a bantamweight. Hasn't fought there in five years, but that's the natural weight class one. That's the better weight class one. And now the wrestling is going to be better. The striking is going to be heavier. He, Lula's got that reach, but he's only five foot eight. They're basically the same height. He's just got a long reach. I think that he's a good-sized bantamweight, and he should be able to go out there and show his best version of himself. Now, on the prop side of things, I completely agree with you. When Ewell gets tired, that's when you could theoretically take him out. You could take him out late. You can get that late finish. And with Arce, when he's on, I mean, he just keeps coming. But more likely than not, this ends up being a, a largely a striking battle with a few takedowns mixed in the mix, and it's going to go to decision. Arce plus 120 by decision. That would be my lean in terms of a prop for this fight. I do want to give a shout out to Pepe Silvia here saying uh, Arce by decision, which is currently around plus 550, plus 555. Not too bad of a stab considering the grappling advantage you should have here. And then lastly, shout out to my guy, PayPal, my money DFS saying Dan Tom did the numbers and fighters with the two-year layoff have won 57% of the time. So th there are some numbers yeah. to back it up there. Right. Not the most in favor. You know what I mean? It's still 50 I know. So I was, 50 -50. I was hoping it was going to be. Okay, okay. But I'd like to see the numbers on guys coming off a two-year-long layoff over the last three months or something because mm -hmm. it just seems like every week there's one but i think if you did the entire year and and looked it up yeah who knows it's like canadian fighters i was like dude we've been we've been shitting malcolm gordon just got to win but we've been <laughs> shit in the bed lately in the ufc so i looked at it and it's like canadian fighters are actually like eight and eight in the ufc this year yeah. it really it wasn't really all that bad to be honest with you like in my mind it was way worse but that's because the beginning portion of the year they didn't fight at all i don't know there's just again that's why stats are sometimes skewing but 57 hey at least it's in our favor right <laughs> by seven percent by seven percent <laughs> if this is a numerical game if this is money ball they'd be like holy shit seven percent yeah <laughs> holy fuck you know what that's called that's called the sharp lean my friend you got an inside lean it's i don't know uh -huh. i don't i don't think so but I love it. Well, one thing that I actually didn't uh, allude to in terms of a prop for this fight, uh, round three. You know, you know, I love seeking me a round three prop. This is a potential for a round yeah. three prop for Arce, for Arce around plus 1375. So I'll definitely be targeting, targeting that and sprinkling that as well. All right, let's move on to the next fight. We got, um, they keep switching around the card on us. So I believe Randy Giannis. Costa and uh, Adrian Yanez are actually on the main card and Topology Ooh. hasn't updated yet, but we'll still go over it right now. Fuck it, let's just go with Topology. We're gonna go with Adrian Yanez against Randy Costa in this fight. Probably the most uh, anticipated fight of the card. Minus 225 uh, for Yanez, plus 185 for Randy Costa. These guys have been jibber-jabbering at each other in the most positive way possible over the last month and a half, two months. And uh, we're finally getting it. The, the, the fans are finally getting the fight that they want. And stylistically speaking, you know, 
it could be much worse. These guys are very good in terms of what they bring to the table in the striking realm. So it should definitely be entertaining for as much for as long as it lasts. Now, Randy Costa has been a guy that I look to go out there and fade every now and then, considering the fact that, you know, before coming to the UFC, 4-0, longest fight, a minute and 11 seconds, uh, combined record of his opponents, 5-14. and 14. You know, the guy was being served up some tomato cans to make it to the UFC, and I think he made it to the UFC a little bit too early. But given his flashy style and given his record, you know, the UFC was definitely intrigued, and he brought it to the table. Well, he did drop his initial uh, or his UFC debut to Brandon Davis, and we went out there and saw exactly, you know, what could be done if you can survive that first round against Randy Costa, and Brandon Davis kind of took full advantage of that. But since then, put together two solid knockout wins, Boston Salmon last time around, and then Journey Newsom, the fight before that. And I actually had a little bit of a bet on Journey Newsom as I believe that he was going to be able to endure that uh, striking onslaught early, take the fight to the ground, and then find that submission probably in the second round. But Randy Costa, man, he he strikes from such weird angles, has good movements. He, he's long and lanky for the division as well, and obviously has a lot of power in his shots too. Now that he's moved down to Sanford MMA, is truly committed to refining his game and trying to complete his game, especially with the age that he's at, I feel like we could see some solid improvements from him. However, if we don't see it in the cage, it's going to be hard to truly say that he's made those improvements. What I've seen from tape, a little bit wild of a striker, uh, you know, looping and uh, wide winging shots at times, uh, does have some good head kicks, obviously, obviously as Journey Newsom knows. Uh, but I do think that uh, Adrian Yan is a striking defense is going to be uh, like prime reason number one why he wins this fight he has a nice high tight guard which kind of protects his head allows his opponents to kind of just hit him on the arms and on the guard more often than not whenever they're throwing the strikes and especially with the way that Raddy costa fights more than likely he's going to be hitting hitting the guard unless he's throwing uh, shots right down the middle with that said i think the tight striking boxing technique of adrian yanez will allow him to survive those shots and then get his own striking off and potentially knock out randy costa in the first or second round of this fight i'm thinking that he's gonna you know not take a full Homer Simpson type approach, but ra let Randy Costa kind of just gas himself out, throwing his flashy spinning stuff or whatever he does, and then let uh, Yanez's uh, hard-nosed boxing game come into play and then find that knockout. So this fight should be fun. I wish the over-under, the, the, the mass, or sorry, the... Uh, the 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 overruling over under was actually two and a half and not one and a half in this spot because i would take the under two and a half under one and a half it gets a little bit sketchy you're right adrian Giannis doesn't force anything he just lets it come to him and then eventually he's going to find that knockout and exactly uh i believe that's what's going to be happening this weekend uh so in terms of props uh, Adrian Yanez by KO minus 110 makes the most sense here. But if you want to get a little bit uh, riskier with it and go for the round prop, so I'm actually looking at Yanez in round two at plus 425. I do think that he'll take what Costa throws at him in round one and then parlay into uh, getting a knockout in round two after we see um, Mr. Costa get a little bit too wild as he's shown in the past. How do you see this fight going down? Yeah, again, pretty much the exact same thing. I mean, Randy Costa is super dangerous, but at least from what we've seen, he's super dangerous for one single round. I mean, he's yeah. only lost to Brandon Davis was the only time he got out of the very first round. And even if you watch back that Davis fight, man, he comes out hot and hurts Davis early in the first. But, like, he just doesn't have the cardio to sustain it. Now that he's at Sanford MMA, man, not only is he committed to one of the best gyms in the world, but he's committed to that 10 in South Florida. My God, his last fight with Journey Newsom. You see, <laughs> you see, there's, dude, he's like two different colors. His trunk line is just a little too high. Even Anik talked about it too. He goes, yeah, you can definitely yeah. tell he spent time down in Florida. <laughs> yeah, and it's just like, oh shit. And then I'll, I'll give him one thing. He moved, he moved way better. Like that debut against Brandon Davis, it was like, oh my God, this guy's not going to last long in the UFC. And then to his credit, he looked decent for a short-nose replacement who was 4-0 against nobodies. 
Um, and then has, again, to his credit, has gone out and gotten two first round victories since then. He's making a little bit name for himself. He's clearly got a lot of power. And this lead up to the fight, I've never seen anything like it in my life. I've never seen a fight right. promoted in such a manner. I, I, me and Paul kind of shot the shit about it. I told him I didn't like it at all. He, he liked it. And I will give him credit. At least he's trying something. Like, who gives a shit about Randy Costa? But you go out there, you put yourself out there. Now all of a sudden he's got people messaging him. You know, oh, I'm team this, I'm team that. You're engaging with your audience. That's how you build yourself up. You keep knocking people out. You keep engaging your, your fan base. That's how you're going to become a fan favorite. And so he called out Adrian Yanez and... That's a tough caller, dude. Who the hell wants to fight Yanis, especially the way he's been looking? And I know what the argument is. Well, yeah, who's Yanis? To this point, yeah, maybe nobody. But it's the way he's doing it. It's the way he's improving. It's the way he's getting more comfortable in his own skin routinely. Two pro losses, both of them by split decision. And those losses are largely because he has a bit of a grappling deficiency, at least right now. But Randy Costa doesn't figure to take him down and exploit that. He's going to stand with him. And if he, if he tries to bum rush him, he's going to get countered. If he comes out all buddy-buddy with them because they've been really buddy-buddy during this entire lead Weirdly buddy-buddy. <laughs> honestly, I think weird on on Costa's part. Like, it, it's kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say creepy. I won't go as far as to say creepy, but it's strange, right? Yanez, whatever. Hopefully he goes out there and gets a $50,000 bonus KO in this foo, sending him back to the gym. But, but yeah, I can't, I can't discredit the fact that the kid's wild. He's got a lot of power. If you're playing multiple DraftKings uh, teams, it's the kind of guy that you might throw, throw as a floater on a couple lineups because you're going to get a lot of salary relief. And what his upside is, is that first round finish with a ton of of, uh, of points scored. But again, you go back to Giannis, both of his losses are split decisions. He seems pretty durable. He's got that high guard. Uh, another thing Shaughnessy mentioned that, again, he's pretty he's pretty close on that, is that he's got a similar striking style to George Masvidal. You know, he's got that high guard yeah. and he loves countering perfectly. When you look at him versus Lopez's last time out, man, it is a tight, tight performance. Everything's on point, on the money. He does get nailed with a nice right hand early in the first, and just walks right through. It takes it like nothing. But that counter shot that drops him, that counter right, it's like a thing of beauty, you know? It's just like a step back, bang, this guy's out, face first on the canvas, walks around. I love seeing third round KOs. I don't care for Randy Costa's first round KOs because you don't really get to know anything. The guy can't, comes at you, he puts you away. How does he look beyond that? Well, we've only seen it once, and it was the fight he lost against Brandon Davis. With Giannis, it's like the, pair, the power carries. Oh, he doesn't knock you out in the first? That's okay. Maybe I'll get you in the second. Don't catch it in the second. Don't worry. Five more minutes in the third. That ability to finish a guy at any point, that ability to pace yourself, be smart, keep focused, have that power, all good stuff. I really like Yanez this week. I very rarely, I know a lot of guys, uh, Clint's good for this, right? He does his show on Monday. So it's like those guys are pretty good at getting on the line beforehand. For me, it's like I spend so much time looking at what's going on this week that I don't, I don't even know what's on next week's card, right? Come Sunday, come Monday, I'll start looking at it. I'll get all my tape in. I'll put in the work. I won't mail it in, but it's very difficult for me to look far and ahead. But last week, fuck, it was such a good week. The way it ended, you know how it is. You get a little ballsy. You're like, oh, I'll throw something on something else. I was just like, oh, I'm going to bet Chael Sun Submission Underground on the Sunday. And then some of the lines are pretty juiced up. So I was like, I'll just throw on whatever the first thing I see on this UFC card. The first three things that came to my eye right off the hop, and I only put three of them on the ticket, so I'm really hoping these three hit, and then my night's made, but it was Kyler Phillips, Adrian Yanez, and Julio Arce. The line didn't move on Arce and Phillips since I met it. The, the line moved like 60 points towards Yanez since that bet at minus 170. Now he's sitting at uh, minus 230 in some places, right? So 
people are on board with Yanez. They like what they see. And if he goes out and he performs to his abilities, I think that this is going to be a nice one for him. We, however, do not do a, a parlay show. We're not doing a straight bet show. We are doing a prop show. And I think Yanez finds the mark at some point inside the distance. I think that him by TKO at plus 100 makes the most sense. Is he going to submit him? I don't think so. I think this thing's largely going to be a, a, a banger um, stand-up affair. And he's going to be able to catch him at some point through it. But you mentioned a great point as well. I don't feel great about the over one and a half as much as I do about the over two and a half, because again, he's methodical. He'll take his time. He can knock you on the first, but he can knock you on the third as well. And I would hate to be on the right side of like, oh, I knew he was going to knock him out, but I thought he'd do it a little earlier. It's like, I would just take that TKO prop plus 100, and that's what I'm going for. So Giannis is one of my go-to guys this week, and I really hope that he's able to uh, pull this one off. Uh, I will say Randy Costa in round one at plus 675 is not yeah, too bad of a look, yeah, considering... That's probably his path to victory in this fight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got, uh, at least according to topology, we got Ian Heinish going up against Nasruddin Imovov. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus one, one minus one fifty actually for a Heinish, plus one thirty for Imovov. Now, um, I feel quite strongly about Ian Heinish in this spot. He's actually minus one fifty five now that I'm actually refreshing the best fight odds page. But yeah, uh, tough stretch for Ian Heinish over his last four fights. One in three, only win coming over uh, Jared Mearshart where he starches him early in that first round. But his other fights, Derek Brunson, Omar Yakmedov, and Kelvin Gastelum, stylistically speaking, not the greatest matchups for him to go out there and get the W. Uh, I found it interesting that he was actually a minus one fifty favorite going into that Derek Brunson fight, and we quickly found out that Derek Brunson is more often not being underrated going into his fights as we are, we've definitely been finding out over his last couple fights. What Ian Heinish does best is put a pace and pressure on his opponents that most guys are not able to keep up with. But the reason he's able to do that, which is why he was able to beat guys like Cesar Freire and Antonio Carlos Jr. is, is that he's able to, able to go out there and land takedowns and really just drown these guys in that pace and these guys are just not able to keep up. Unluckily for him, Derek Brunson was the better wrestler. Omar Yakhmedov was the better wrestler. Kevin Gaslam was the better wrestler, and he didn't even need his wrestling in the Gerald Mearshart fight because he was able to start him as easily as he did it there. Here with Imovov, we're getting a guy that seems to struggle in those clinch and those grappling positions, which leads me to believe that Ian Heinrich will have tremendous success in terms of getting the clinch, dragging this fight to the ground, and nullifying the striking advantage that Nasser Imovov will obviously have in this fight. He's a Russian sniper for a reason. He's going to stay on the outside, and he's going to try to find his spots and try to land that big punch. One interesting thing to note here is Imovov's coming off some sort of hand injury 13 weeks ago. He was in a cast. Now here he is trying to go out there and try to knock out a very durable Ian Heinish who could take a shot on the chin like no other. The guy just continues to chug forward and continue to move forward. And it's going to be very hard for Imovov to deal with a guy like that, especially with Imovov on his back foot for the majority of this fight, as I expect him to be. Now... I do think that Heinrich will be successful in takedowns here. I love the fact that even though he was, you know, unsuccessful in grinding out Calvin Gaston as a lot of people thought he would, he still went out there and shot six or seven takedowns. Like he wants to, he he makes it known that he wants to get this fight to the ground, and that's where he has his best advantages. And I think you'll have a tremendous advantage here against Imovov. I see people, you know, saying that, oh, you know, look at him. He wasn't successful with doing it to Calvin Gaslam and Omar Yakmanov and Derek Brunson. 
Of course not. Those guys have better grappling pedigrees than he does. Ian Heinrich kind of developed it a little bit later than these guys and has used it effectively against lesser grapplers. Now, if Imovov comes out there and looks like he has the wrestling and grappling of Omari Akhmedov, I'm going to be shitting myself because I'd be very surprised if he has that in him. I think that he could stuff a takedown or two early in this fight when he's the freshest. But as the fight goes on, as the fight progresses, that pace, that pressure, that strength advantage that I expect Ian Heinrich to have here will play into his hands very very easily i do think he'll land takedowns i do think he'll be able to control this fight and i feel very strongly about ian heinrich in this spot and i truly believe it's a buy low spot for him as well as i actually price him closer to minus 200 minus 250 in this spot especially with the grappling advantage he should have here if he had some durability issues then i'd be a little bit more concerned about imovov finding that kill shot but from all accounts you know he's taken some good shots and continues to come forward he's been rocked he's been hurt in the past but he's never totally been put out because he has great self-awareness and especially in those situations where he gets rocked and dropped he comes back either just seeks a takedown or or whatever it is the last thing i'll say about this fight the one thing that i think he has to worry about is those front chokes from imovov he does a good job in terms of trying to clamp onto the neck and try to find or, or try to threaten his opponent with something to try to lay off those takedowns but i gotta believe a guy like ian heinish and the you know the pedigree that he brings and the experience that he has should be able to find him way find his way uh away from those um uh those uh the, those choke attempts and one more thing i'll say Seems like he completely is devoted to that Sanford MMA camp now. According to his IG, he just bought a house uh, a couple months ago with his wife down in Florida. So you got to believe that he's fully invested in terms of you know turning his career around, trying to get out of this one and three slump, and uh, aligning himself with a team like um, with Sanford MMA is only great for him. Not to mention, who's one of his training partners? The last guy to fight Imovov, Phil Haas. I'm sure Phil Haas has a couple things to tell Imovov in terms of. Look out for those front chokes, whatever the fuck it is. With that said, Sanford MMA already has a game plan to go out there and beat a guy like Imovov. How much can Imovov go out there and truly uh, improve his takedown defense? It's not, it's it's usually not that good in terms of chances of guys going out there and knowing, okay, this guy's probably going to take me down. Let me just drill takedown defense and that should help me. It's not that easy. Me, me and you both know that. You know, if, if it was that easy, Khabib wouldn't be undefeated at this time because we all know what the fuck his game plan is. I'm going to take you down, right? Not saying Ina Heinrich is Khabib or anything like that, but he does bring a uh, pace and pressure that should potentially break him off later that this fight goes. So in terms of odds, I'm liking the overs here. The durability on both guys seems to be uh, decent. Uh, but I will say I do think that there's a possible finishing opportunity for Heinrich to later that this fight goes, especially with the success I expect him to have have uh in the grappling realm not to mention much better gas tank than phil hawes so i'd be surprised if he found himself on wobbly street in the third round in this spot but i do like heinish by decision which is my most which is my favorite prop here plus 145 but i might have to take a little bit of a sprinkle on heinish in round three at plus 1575 as well because i do think that there's going to be some finishing opportunities there for him cody how do you feel about this one yeah the exact same way honestly i i, I lean towards the heinish by decision but i think that the later the fight goes if he does come out here in great shape he could put it on him for sure and force himself a stoppage so yeah i, I agree in that imovov was a massive massive letdown for me last time out i praise this guy coming out of dagestan and then he ended up over at uh fight fight ready or fight factory paris fight right factory. working yeah working with i mean obviously he's not working with surreal god and francis and and those guys but i just mean they've done a really good job of taking these prospects getting them to the ufc getting them ready imovov's case it's like he beat jonathan menier you know a ufc veteran out of canada over in aries fc then he debuts against jordan williams i was all over him in the jordan williams fight and 
he got kind of hurt in the first round. He kind of did the stanky leg. But then after that, he comes back. Output's there. Looks good. So now I'm backing him against Phil Hawes. We got plus money on him straight up. We got good plus money on him by TKO and him inside the distance. It's like, all right, let's go. And he's just, there was nothing more to his game. Phil Hawes definitely won the first round. Phil Hawes completely gassed out in the second and would just resort to pushing him up against the cage. Imovov had an inability to get off the cage. He himself got massively gassed out. And he hurt Hawes in the second and third rounds. And then when he would get him hurt, he had no ability to pounce, no ability to maintain distance. He would just allow Phil Hawes just to clinch with him and press him back into the cage. That was so, so mystifying. <laughs> mystifying, because I'm going to hit all my tickets, motherfucker. <laughs> just do a little bit more. Just move away. I got three good tickets here. No, no, no. All plus money, by the way. That was frustrating as fuck, right? So so now you have Ian Heinish, and it's like, even though Heinish is more of a, he'll, he'll strike more than he'll just resort to just spam grinding you. The fact that he can spam grind you means that even if this fight isn't going his way standing, he has a plan B. He can yep. complete those takedowns. Once he does get to the ground, he's just going to rinse and repeat. The guy is ultra durable. You mentioned the fact that his three fights in the UFC that he's lost are uh, all by decision. The dude went to Rikers Island and spent some time in jail. Like, he's obviously quite durable. And he's taking his shit seriously. And so what worries me about the TKO, actually, is that, if you remember this, the Gerald Mearshart fight, he goes in, he blasts Gerald Mearshart, it's a minute 14, and he had spent the camp at Tiger Muay Thai in Thailand. Now, the mm. pandemic happens, it's like, oh, shit, no, you can't really stay in Thailand. So he comes back home, he loses to Kelvin Gastelum. Mind you, Kelvin Gastelum took him down six times, so he didn't really have an ability to show off that striking. And that now he's at Sanford. Now he's full-time at Sanford. And I would reckon his striking is... Still getting better, still improving. He has power. And the last time he spent an entire camp at a, at a striking-heavy gym with top coaches, you saw the immediate improvements. This could be a lot of the same thing. Imovov's going to be able to last that first round. Imovov might be able to last the first two rounds. But if Nasruddin tires at any point, Ian Hines is still taking him down, still ground and pounding him, still landing that big overhand right when they're standing, uh, he's definitely live for like a later finish. So hedging yourself out with that third-round Hines TKO doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. I uh, I agree with a lot, a lot of those points. And then the last thing is again, when you look at um, when you look at Heinish's run, it's like man, matchmakers have not been kind to this guy whatsoever. Fought on contender series against uh, against uh, Justin Sumter. That one doesn't matter, but Sumter was looking to wrestle. He was a grappler. Fair. Debut against Caesar Ferreira. He got taken down five times. Ferreira's only looking to pull you down and grapple you. Then he gets Antonio Carlos Jr. Only looking to pull you down and grapple you. Derek Brunson, high level wrestler, take you down. Grapple you. Omari Akhmedov, what? Why is he still getting these guys? And then just for good measure, they give him Mearshart. Mearshart doesn't get gra grappling quick enough, and he folds up. And then they give him Kelvin Gaslam, who, although could strike, just decided he didn't want to strike with this guy. This guy's a big body. This guy's in good shape. You know what? I'm just going to look to wrestle him. And that's what he did. So realistically, like it's actually impressive that he's won more fights than he's lost, because whenever he fights an opponent, they've got the same plan. I'm going to take this guy and ground him. So he's not able to show you the best of his abilities because he is worried about those takedowns, right? Uh, against Imovov, he's not going to get taken down. If he does get taken down, he's going to get right back up. He's got the cardio advantage. He's got the durability advantage. And the one advantage that we're going to give Imovov, which is the striking, could be a lot closer than you think. Could even be an advantage Heinish. We don't know yet, but it, there's not that big of a discrepancy. So at minus 150, yeah, the money line looks pretty tight. As far as the prop goes, again, I lean towards that Heinish by decision plus 135, that looks like a nice price tag. That looks like something I, I like. But, yeah, it could it, 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 will always find a way to screw me somehow, you know? And get <laughs> Even finished. with the dub here, you think? <laughs> yeah, 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 like, oh, oh, very, frust very frustrating indeed. You take that kid, you put him at ATT for two years, yeah, I'll take him again. You put him at Extreme Couture for a couple of years, I'll take him again. You know, you put him at a mega gym, sure. 
the one thing with with being over in France is that he's he's, he's not working with Ngannou, who's gone in, in Vegas. He's not working with Gon. They're all heavyweights, anyways. But who's gone and uh, and is in American Top Team in Florida, right? Taylor Lapolis is pretty dope, but he's a bantamweight. His brother's shot to bits. And who else is at the gym? Alan Bodo. How did he look, right? <laughs> and you working with that guy? I, I don't know. Like, I, I don't, I, I'd hate knocking on gyms, right? I think any gym can produce a gem. But at some point, we all have to realize that your coaches can go with you to American Top Team. Your coaches can go with you to San Diego. You need to go where the bodies are, right? That's the thing. It's no knock against your gym and your coaching staff and the two guys you work with, but a lot of gyms, it's like, oh, yeah, I work with this guy. He's a bantamweight, and I, I work with that guy. He's a light heavyweight. It's like, neither of these guys are within two weight classes of you. But, you know, oh, well, we get work, and they push me. They motivate me. They're good guys. If you're not in there sparring, and you're not wrestling D1 quality guys, if you're not grappling BJJ black belts, if you're not sparring, you know, high-level accredited strikers routinely, like, yeah, you're, you're only going to rely on a puncher's chance. That's what it becomes. And so that's kind of what I feel with Imovov. Still got a puncher's chance, but against Heinrich, you're going to knock him out. Woohoo! Good luck, my friend. He's super durable. So I, I, I agree. I got Heinish hoping he gets the decision, but could see it ending just a tad early of that. I've seen people a little bit too harsh on Heinish this whole week saying, oh, you know, he's never really banned out. But what are you talking about? Kelvin Gaslam, high-level fighter. Omar Yakmetov, solid fighter. Derek Brunson, solid fighter. Went in there as a minus-150 favorite. Let's you know the public perception of Ian Heinish and what kind of potential people expected him to have. So I think he could still go out there and fulfill that potential. But fuck, give this guy some favorable matchups here and there, right? Like, Jesus. Yeah, hell yeah. Dude, Antonio Carlos Jr. would ragdoll Nasruddin Imovov. Right? He fights at 205 now, and he looks pretty good. And yeah. it would be like easy body lock, takedown, take your back, control you, rinse and repeat. And once he got tired, he would be tired too. So what would be the worry there? Like Heinish is, he's fighting high-level guy. Kellen Gaslam fought for a world title and was yeah. two, two and two going to the fifth. Mariak Madoff is a perennial top 15 guy who's fought some of the top guys in the sport. Derek Brunson's currently on a resurgence, making a run for the title. You know, like, okay, so he's lost to those guys. <laughs> what about the, the step below? Oh, yeah, he kicks their asses. Okay, well, guess what? This is a step below. I think, I think, I think, uh, I, yeah, I think we're hammering the same points, man. I, and now I feel too confident about it. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, Emo Bob doesn't find a way to get me again. I've, uh, I feel like I've, I've swayed a couple people this week with the Heinrich take, but again, it's, it's hard to overlook, especially with the grappling advantage he should have in this fight. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Puna Holly Soriano going up against Brendan Allen. This fight has been a pick 'em all week. I expected the line to move one way or the other, but it hasn't. It stayed around minus 110, minus 115 for either guy. Now, pretty easy to break this fight down, right? We got Soriano that wants to go out there, probably get it done early, find that big power, and get uh, Brendan out of there. Brendan Allen out of there within the first round or two. Uh, and then Allen wants to grapple up with him, try to drag this fight to the ground and get his jujitsu game going and definitely not go out there and strike with uh, with him just as he decided to do with Sean Strickland, which we all found out to be not a damn good idea. Um, even though he's down there, it's time for MMA for a couple of camps now. You got to believe that he has been raising his confidence with the striking, but he'd be absolutely batshit crazy if he thinks he can go out there and stand with Soriano for the first five minutes of this fight. Soriano has a decent wrestling background of his own, which leads me to believe that uh, in the early spots of this fight, he should be able to keep this fight vertical, and that should allow him to at least implement his heavy striking game. But the further that this fight goes, this seems to be a 
like a prime example of you taking advantage of live betting because I believe that Soriano will have the advantage in the first round, which should make Allen, uh, you know, a solid dog going into the second round. But that should allow him to start implementing his game and possibly being successful with takedowns as Soriano starts to slow down. Now, Soriano does have a decision win uh, against Jamie Pickett on the contender series, but. I, me and you probably share the same sentiments about the level of skills that, that Jamie Pickett brings to the table here, which, you know, I believe that, you know, a decent win for Puna, but, uh, you know, it's Jamie Pickett at the end of the day. I think Allen definitely has a lot more to offer and resistance here. Um, again, grappler versus striker. Cardio versus non-cardio. We've seen Brendan Allen go five rounds in the LFA before the guy definitely has a good gas tank on him. Um, but I think he's going to struggle with the power here of Soriano. I think Soriano is going to eventually find that chin. I think he's going to be able to put him down here. So easiest props to pinpoint for Puna. Puna by KO plus 165. Puna in round one plus 300. I like that uh, round one prop at plus 300. I'm going to be taking a bit of a stab there. But yeah, even Puna at, uh, by KO at plus 165 isn't too bad of a shot either. How are you feeling about this matchup? Yeah, I feel like you can like see my notes or something because that's what I marked down as well with Soriano uh, by TKO plus 165. That's kind of only the real prop that I liked in this spot is that we know his ability to finish fights and uh, we know with Brandon Allen like yeah sometimes he is you know maybe durability could be called into question with Puna I'll, I'll limit the one thing with Jamie Pickett right you know with Jamie Pickett limited this and that like oh, okay sure but Jamie Pickett's super durable never been knocked out fought some tough guys taken some tough shots and so at least Soriano got three rounds in that situation we saw him get tired a lot of the narrative again you brought it up yourself is Soriano probably looks good in the first round but if he doesn't finish in the first round Brandon Allen should be able to take over, but Brandon Allen's cardio suspect as well. I mean, he gassed out hard against Kyle Doukas and uh, lost the third round to a short-notice replacement that night. Um, his fight with Sean Strickland, I mean, he's really battered and probably hurt by the second round, but you can noticeably see him slowing down. And even the fight with Kevin Holland, which he wins by rear naked choke, he's flat gassed out before he locks up that choke. And, you know, glad he got it done when he did. So even if he gets battered this first round, I don't know all of a sudden that he's just going to be a cardio machine and Soriano's cardio is so bad that he gets dragged out. The other things that are worth noting is that Soriano was a D3 All-American in wrestling. So he's actually got the wrestling advantage. He's the better wrestler. He also comes from a judo background, and he's going to be very difficult to take down. But he's full-time out of Extreme Couture, managed by Ali Abdelaziz, part of the reason why he got that Contender Series contract, even though it was somewhat of a lackluster win over Jamie Pickett. And since then, in the UFC, he's looked really good. So he's full-time in the room right now with standouts standout such as Alexander Gustafsson, Chris Curtis. But probably more notably, two of his top training partners are Kamzat Chemaev, who's definitely going to have him ready for a lot of these spots against big, tough guys, and Sean Strickland. Sean Strickland, the last guy to absolutely beat Brandon Allen pillar to post. So if Brandon Allen's game plan is go out there and take this guy down and control him, he's been doing a camp with Chemaev, right? Chances are he's going to be pretty, you know, at least ready for that situation. Strickland will be able to give him some inside advice. Thoughts all well and good. Keep this fight standing and blast Brandon Allen. So the final consensus there is Brandon Allen, if he he thought he was a striker against Sean Strickland. He was at the gym, Sanford MMA, Henry Hoof and all them are probably giving him new skills. He's confident in himself and he goes out and decides, I want to try this. Doesn't work for him. If he comes out in this fight and decides to try that striking, not going to go good. But even if he decides, you know what? Take him down. <laughs> Soriano's got the wrestling advantage and just like the better takedown defense. So I think he'll stuff those takedowns, keep it standing, and knock him out. You know, I'd like to take a poke at that minus or the under one and a half. But again, I, I just, I don't really like under one and a half. If anything, I like over one and a half. But, but the TKO at plus 165, I think that, that tells you pretty much everything you need to know. So... Am I worried that Sanford MMA has got three guys on this card? Randy Costa, Ian Heinish, 
and now Brandon Allen, they're going to be in good shape. They're going to be ready. The whole coaching staff's down. They're prepared. Yeah, sure. You know, it's mo it, it motivates you when you've got a bunch of training partners on the card for sure. But in this spot, I really do like the improvements that we're, that we've been seeing out of Soriano. I haven't been the biggest Pone Soriano uh, believer to this point. He's going to find some soft competition. I keep thinking he's going to gas out just like he did in that Jamie Pickett fight. But there's no denying he's doing everything right. He's got power in both hands. And I think that's going to be a key factor here in, in getting that victory. So, yeah, if, if I was going to go with one singular prop on this one, that TKO plus 165, that, that's what looked best to me. I know it seems like we've been blowing Sanford MMA for the last couple of weeks, but we do definitely have to give some credit to Extreme Couture and Eric Nixick. Very solid training camp there that uh, Soriano is going to be having as well. I'm sure they got a great game plan to go out there and utilize uh, Puna's strengths to its best abilities. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. We got Mickey Gall going up against Jordan Williams. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 170 for Williams and plus 150 for Mickey Gall. Probably the one fight that I named like the pass of the week. I mean, it's very difficult to have uber confidence in either guy here. We got Jordan Williams coming down a weight class now. He has fought at 170 in the past earlier in his career, but he did find a home for himself at 185. Well, not even 185. It seems like he was always weighing in at like 180, 182 because he just never cuts weight. So maybe it seems like MMA fighting-wise and weight-wise, 170 seems to be better for him. But we all know the, the story, the diabetes and all that type of stuff. It's not great for him to cut weight and all that type of shit. So I'm very excited or interested to see what he looks like on the scales when he potentially steps on it within the next hour or two here. Um, Mickey Gall showed improvements in his striking last time around, going out there and winning the first round against Mike Perry strictly with striking. And then who the hell thought that uh, Mike Perry would be getting the win by grappling in that fight? Goes out there and now grapples him for the next two rounds. Dominated. Mickey Gall dominated, dominated in the grappling. Exactly. Yeah, good point. Um, not to mention, Mickey Gall seemed to have a little bit of cardio issues in that fight. Seems to be something that plagues him throughout his career. But even on the other side, Jordan Williams seems to have a cardio issue of his own which could potentially come into play in this fight i think jordan williams is the heavier striker obviously being able to dispatch with gregory rodriguez a couple fights ago on the contender series earning himself a contract and he's one of those few guys that went out there and had to compete three times on the contender series to finally get that contract the first one i believe was overchanged to a no contest due to a positive drug test from jordan williams if i'm not mistaken then after that he has that very close fight against i believe the kid's name was ramazan kuramagomedov a very close fight loses that via a decision but then goes out there and uh, beats um, Gregory Rodriguez as effectively as he did, especially with that first round knockout. You got to sign him after that. But still, I'm not sure what kind of skills that he truly brings to the table here, man. Other than his heart, his will, and his desire to make it a full 15 minutes, you know, has some good hands. Uh, I believe he has some jujitsu up his sleeve as well. We know Mickey Gall, his biggest trait coming into the UFC or even into his pro MMA career was the grappling advantage he'd have over, you know, CM Mike Punk. Jackson, yeah. oh, CM yeah. Punk, and those yeah. guys earlier, career, George Sullivan as yeah. well, and Sage Northcutt. But when he fights somebody that, you know, can put it on him a little bit, like the Diego Sanchez's and the Mike Perry's, he starts to come up short. Do I classify Jordan Williams as one of those guys? I'm not 100% sure. I'm still trying to find out, like, what we're truly getting from this guy. And uh, even with Mickey Gall, you know, I think he just came into the UFC a little bit too early. Came into the UFC 1-0. He had a number one contender fight to fight fucking CM Punk in his first UFC fight. And uh, it even turns out the guy that ended up getting the loss in that fight still ended up fun fighting CM Punk and beating that guy as well. But uh, yeah, 
difficult fight for me to call. I'm ultimately going to be going with the Jordan Williams side of things. I think the under is not too bad of a spot here either, considering the fact that, again, cardio issues for both guys here, finishing capabilities from both guys as well. Minus 150 and on the under 2.5. I don't mind that. I'm going on the Jordan Williams side of things. I think he actually finds the chin of Mickey Gall and puts him down here at plus 190. I don't mind that spot. But again, very little confidence in this fight. This is my personal pass of the week. I'm hoping that you have some more stronger opinions about this fight that could potentially steer our viewers in the right direction. How do you feel about this matchup? Yeah, I mean, not overly. To be honest with you, I looked at the... You got the under again, but I, I looked at the over, and the fight goes the distance was plus 110, and uh, the over 2.5 was plus 100. There was 10-point difference between fight goes the distance and the over 2.5. So I actually like the over two and a half in that spot. Mickey Gall, again, yeah, you, like you mentioned, they've kind of thrown him in there relatively tough considering he didn't have any experience. He came to the UFC. He was a, you know, a 3-0 amateur fighter who is not, not ready for this. Wins his debut in front of Dana White, calls him out, and then you get Mike Jackson. Well, you can do that. And then you get CM Punk. Okay, well, you can do that. A Sage Northcutt fight, man. Again, he's gassed out when he caught Sage Northcutt. He's lucky he caught him when he did, but again, it was Sage Northcutt. Randy Brown's legit. He, he looked massively out of place, and he gassed out. Second time we've seen him gassed out. George Sullivan, well, George Sullivan, you know, he, he was out of place. He can win that. Diego Sanchez beat him up bad. TKO'd him, you know? But again, it's... Minus really 250 favorite in that fight, Mickey Gall was. Yeah, and I remember on the show, uh, Shaughnessy and I did the preview show, and we were both on Diego Sanchez for the pure basis of... Sanchez never been smitten in his pro career. Like, yeah. one thing you can give him is, like, he's cast iron submission defense. So if Mickey Gall wasn't going to submit him, what was he going to do? I'll fully admit, Mickey Gall's striking actually looked much improved for the first two minutes of that fight. But then it's the same thing. He's got cardio issues. And as soon as he gassed out and you got Diego just pounding on you, not going anywhere, uh, it's going to be a problem. So sure enough, he loses that. Whenever it's like a remote step up for him, he loses. Oh, he fights Salim Tuaris of the world? Yeah, well, he, he can beat Salim Tuari. And then he gets Mike Perry and loses that one as well. That one's the most concerning because, again, his striking did look improved. He'd been working with Joe Schilling. He'd been uh, working with Donald Cerrone. He'd been making a lot of improvements to his overall striking game. He comes out, he outstruck Mike Perry for the first three or four minutes. And then it was like, he's known as a grappler. And Perry, of all people, dominates him in the grappling department. So what can you like at him? I don't know. But he's been off a year. This is a kid that was making a lot of improvements fight to fight. But it's just like not enough improvements to fight an elite level of opposition. Jordan Williams is not an elite level of opposition. So Mickey Gall could come out here and surprise a lot of people in that he is competitive. His striking, again, I bet you it's going to be much more improved, and we've seen the improvements he's been making. The grappling, the wrestling, it could be a little bit better. It's the cardio where I just don't think he's able to shore it up. And with Williams, you mentioned his cardio is not very good as well. The difference is when Gall gets tired, he curls up. When Williams gets tired, he just goes out hard, man. He goes into the fire. This guy's had a lot of fights. He gasses, and he just you know won't quit on himself. Him making 170, crazy. Because they told us on the Contender Series three times, all three times he fought in the Contender Series, can't make 70 because of the diabetes. He has fought at 70 before, but now he's bigger. His team's been able to get him to 170. we got to watch the weigh-ins today. Apparently, he's been looking pretty good all fight week. If he shows up, he looks like he's energetic. He looks like he's with it. I would say that that's the pick as well. But I can see Mickey Gall being a little bit improved. The reason why I decide to settle on that over 2.5 for the fight goes the distance is, again, with, with, with Mickey Gall, I mean, he's kind of half durable. He's been knocked out the one time by Diego Sanchez. Outside of that, he's fought in a good level of competition. He's trained at American Top Team. He's trained at TriStar. He's trained uh, Miller Brothers in New Jersey. He's trained at Nick Catones. He's trained with Joe Schilling. He's a gym jumper. 
but he's trained with a lot of elite level guys. I would say that his durability to me isn't the biggest question. It's him getting gassed out and quitting on himself that's more of a concern. Submission defense again is going to be good enough against Williams. Williams meanwhile, he's just real tough. Does he have a slight power advantage? Yeah. The striking advantage, that remains to be seen. But I mean, a lot of these fights, he knocked out Gregory Rodriguez. He beat Diego Herzog late in the third round. Not late, minute 21 of the third round. Tim Karen finished him third round. Brandon Hester finished him second round. A lot of these fights, he's taken a little bit of time to get going. This is probably one of the tougher fights he's taken, um, even though it's still only Mickey Gall. And for Gall, the year off probably did help him. I'm not confident in this fight, but the gun to my head, had to make a pick. I would say Williams wins this fight. I would say Williams wins this fight decision. If I was giving you my more confident play, on this unconfident fight, it would be the over two and a half. I like it. I like it. Uh, reminder for you guys, make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe, and obviously hit CJ MMA's uh, YouTube channel as well and drop a subscribe over there. The link is in the description below. We got four or five le four fights left to go for you guys, and I'm kind of surprised at the amount of activity that we're getting at this early, 11 a.m. We got 265 live viewers Either you guys are at work or you guys have no lives. We appreciate you guys checking out uh, the appreciate live stream with us here as well. Uh, not saying that this is the set time now, but uh, again, we do appreciate you guys checking it out and uh, supporting us this early in the day. All right, let's move on to the next fight. This one, I can't wait to get your thought. I can't wait to get your thoughts on. We got Macy Barber going up against Miranda Maverick. In terms of odds, we got minus one forty-five for Maverick and plus one twenty-five for Macy Barber. Now. We saw Maverick open her up around minus 180. A lot of love came in for Barber to push Maverick down to even close to minus 125. But it seems like the love is coming back in on Maverick, pushing her back up to minus 145. Now, both of these girls, they seem like they're at similar stages of the career, looking to truly crack into the UFC and, and make a mark for themselves. Maverick obviously undefeated in the UFC, whereas Barber is on a two-fight skid, and she's trying to find that that uh, that that juice that's going to allow her to you know get back onto the winning streak now obviously her hopes of being the the youngest ufc champion is definitely uh you know won't be happening anymore and she's definitely like one of those guys like mickey gall that you're talking about or one of those girls uh like mickey gall that's going out there and jumping gym from gym to gym right we saw her at izzy wrestling before we saw her at rufus sport uh now apparently she's working over there at team alpha male with those guys in sacramento and seeing if she can round out her game in that spot now i feel like the striking is going to be quite competitive in this fight both girls are making improvements i believe that macy barber optically speaking will look like she's a better fighter just because she seems a little bit more flashy and a little bit more comfortable on the feet but miranda maverick is quite hard nosed with the striking has some good power in her hands as we've seen in the past and with the improvements that she's going to be making on a fight to fight basis i wouldn't be surprised if she goes out there and absolutely outstrikes uh, macy barber in this fight not saying that's what's going to happen but i do think the striking exchanges here will be competitive the power I think is going to be competitive as well. I think both women have some good pop in their shots and can definitely lay some damage on their opponents. Uh, Macy Barber is obviously more renowned for that, considering how many people she's been able to put away with her striking. But I think that uh, Maverick is slowly building that in herself. I think the difference maker here, though, is going to be the fact that Maverick has great fight IQ and should be able to drag this fight to the ground and find the opportune moments to land those takedowns and shoot when Macy Barber might be overextending on a couple combinations or something like that. So I do like uh, Miranda Maverick in the spot i like the progression that we're seeing from her she may not be from a, a glamour gym or anything like that i think her main uh head coach is mac and semizer a former ufc fighter from back in the day so uh you know it, it's been a long time i believe he was in the wec as well if i'm not yeah. mistaken but um 
yet she's one of those products that goes out there and shows you don't need to be at a big MMA gym to have some success and show progress and, 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 uh, you know, solid improvements on a fight to fight basis. And, uh, you know, it's working out for her right now. Uh, and I do think that it's going to work out for her tomorrow night as well. When she goes out there and, uh, puts on a full display of MMA here against Macy Barber centered around well-timed takedowns and control time here against Barber. So I do like, um, Maverick, like I said, uh, obviously, my decision is probably the way that I'm going to go. Plus 145, I don't mind that. Uh, the over 2.5 is a little juiced at minus 210, but I don't mind that as a potential parlay piece as well because I do think that both girls are quite durable here, uh, and I do think that it's going to go the full 15 minutes, but I do side with the Maverick side, the favorite, and obviously that uh, that decision prop, like I said, plus 145, not too bad of a spot here. Uh, how do you feel about this matchup between these two up-and-coming flyweights, and who do you ultimately think gets their hand raised? Dude, I'm just glad you brought up Mac and Severinzer. <laughs> I saw you light up immediately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dude, he fought he fought Wagney Fabiano, right? Wagney yep. is the fucking man, okay? He's like stud in IFL, IFL champion, undefeated. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He's one of the Nova Union, like top go-to guys. He romps the grappling competition. He signs to WEC. Sky's the limit for him. This guy's going all the way. He, nobody can light a match next to him. Mac and Severinzer, like 5-1 to one underdog, taken down right away. Purple belt. Slams up a triangle choke and chokes out Wagney Fabio with a triangle. And it was to me, like, as far as jiu-jitsu goes, the biggest upset I had ever seen in my life. This guy's totally badass. And I know where I shit on little gyms before and said, yeah, you, you got to go get the bodies. The difference there is one guy's at ATT, one guy's at Sanford MMA, one guy's at Extreme Couture. Ah, you got to compete hard there, right? It's better to stay at a small gym with your same coach and your same training partners than being a gym jumper. Fact. Fact, it is small, better to stay in your small town than to go to a zillion different places with a zillion different coaches. No one follows you. No one's invested in you. That's kind of the problem I'm seeing with Macy Barber. Her career is starting to imitate Sage Northcutt's ever so slightly. I'll agree yeah. that she's very talented, but I thought Sage Northcutt was super talented. But what happened there is when he signed, his head coach is his father, Mark Northcutt. In her case, it's Bucky. It's Bucky Barber, right? That's her go-to. He's groomed her to get to the UFC, to be an excellent martial artist. He's the one putting in her head, youngest champion of all time, youngest champion of all time. She's got a fucking massive inflated sense of ego. And when you when you hear the interview, she's like unlikable because of how just like, I don't know, like her self-belief. How does self-belief make you unlikable? I don't know. But she's almost like arrogant, borderline arrogant with it. And then, okay, well, uh, we're, we're, she leaves her small gym and she ends up going to Fort Collins to work out with uh, Ryan the Lion Schultz. Another shout out to another IFL champion. Right, she changed with Ryan the Lion Schultz. He gets her going. Ground game's looking tight. Then she bails on him as soon as she got to the UFC, bails on Schultz and goes to Duke Rufus's. And then loses two fights with Duke Rufus's and now bails and goes to Team Alpha Male. You know, Sage did the same thing. He was working at a Gracie Baja caddy in, uh, in Texas, left there and went to TriStar. And then, you know what? Didn't like the sparring at TriStar. So left and went to Team Alpha Male. Only Team Alpha Male ain't what it used to be. TJ Dillashaw's not there anymore. Cody Garbrandt's abandoned Wayne. He's kind of in and out of the gym. Uriah Favor, he's retired. Joseph Benavides, he left and went over to Vegas. Lance Palmer, he left and he went over to Vegas. Josh Emmett, yeah, he's a fringe guy. Andre Feely, fuck, he got screwed out of that no contest his last time out. He did look good. What I'm getting at is that gym ain't what it used to be. Surely we can all agree with that. And so her going there, she's working with just two people. Because, by the way, Cynthia Calvillo, she's not there anymore either. She's got uh, Corey McKenna, who fights in the UFC. He's very young. And she's working out with um, Sarah McMahon. Sarah McMahon is the wrestling coach over there. So 
you're yeah again you're only, there's really only two bodies there you've just started working with these people you've bounced around from a couple camps and your father's still a big driving force in your career you're seeing the results you blow at your leg against Roxanne Modafferi who in their fucking right mind signed the contract to fight Alexa Grosso why would that be considered yeah. a good fight so she's a she's a fringe contender who's ranked in the top 10 that's not a comeback fight you just hurt yourself you're still only 21 years old why would you take that fight but again self-belief oh, I'll beat this girl so what we see is we see impressive, but we also see some holes, right? That first round of Macy Barber versus Hannah Cyphers, I thought she won the first round, but she actually got outstruck 35 to 34 against Hannah Cyphers in the very first round. The next fight against JJ Aldrich, wouldn't you know it, she dropped the first round and got outstruck by JJ Aldrich. But she's big, she's aggressive, she comes forward, she does the same thing to Jillian Robertson, a six and four in the UFC fighter, but you know, that's her biggest win, certainly. And then that those step ups haven't gone particularly good. With Miranda Maverick, I just feel like she's gone in a complete opposite direction. She fought those early setbacks earlier in her career, and she's continued to just improve. Physically, again, you're going to see this on the scales in a few uh, in, in an hour or so, she is in incredible shape, clearly takes training you know, very, very seriously. Uh, I don't got to worry about that. The wins, again, they're, it, it's, it's work in progress stuff, but she fought in Invicta. It was a one-night tournament. It was the Phoenix Series, right? She beats yeah. Vict Victoria, Victoria Leonardo who's in the UFC now in the first round. Then she beats Shayna Young, who's in the UFC now in the second round. And then she caps it off by beating Deanna Bennett, the last woman to defeat her, soundly with a third round rear naked choke. Nice and soundly. She actually struggled the first two rounds of that fight, but got her in the third round with a rear naked choke. Deanna Bennett's someone who also, you know, walked right, or didn't walk right through, but has been competitive with someone like Liz Carmouche over in Bellator. So savvy veteran, last person to beat you. Third fight of the night, a tournament. You go out there, avenge that loss. You now have Victoria Leonardo, Shayna Young, Deanna Bennett. Nice little run. You follow that up by defending the title against Pearl Gonzalez, another UFC veteran. Now you come to the UFC. Joshua fight, I thought she got hit a little bit too much for my liking, but, you know, cut stoppage too. It was kind of a weird one, but she was coming on. She wasn't going anywhere, put it that way. She was just going to keep doing that rounds two and three. And then the Jillian Roberts fight where you see Robertson take her down. You see her look over at her corner just like, she's just holding me. It's like, don't worry, take your time, get back up. Gets back up. Striking, good, work in progress. Physically, very strong. Cardio, good. Gamer. Probably does struggle to make this weight class, but when she does make it, oh baby. And uh, Macy Barber, all youngest champion, she's 23, she's making improvements. Maverick's 24, you know, They're, they are pretty much the exact same age. They're both making improvements. I just tend to like more what I've seen out of Miranda Maverick. So again, looking at this fight, I really like the fight goes the distance, but at minus 200, I know people don't like me giving away those kind of picks. So I would say uh, the Maverick by decision at plus 120, I just think that she's probably going to end up on the positive side of it. But this is not one of my go-to's. I'm not just writing Barbara off completely. It's that we have to side with one side of the coin. This one, I believe that Miranda Maverick should would be the the wiser selection. And I think that because it's going to go to the decision, we can get a plus money tag by taking her by decision. The aforementioned Mackin Semizer went to one, one, and one no contest in the UFC and then gets let go off of one loss to Daniel Pineda. He never fought again, right? Did no, he, he fought twice. He fought two oh, okay. more times after that. Uh, he fought about five months after he got released and then three months after that, but then since then has never fought. And then fought. never again. I was going to say, he. this is a guy that was dope, got released, don't know why. I guess he'd won two quick ones within a five-month period of time and then never fought again. But as far as him being a coach goes... I'm cool with that because I know this Rick guy knows. knows what, I know he knows what he's talking about. You know, <laughs> yeah. he was he was a good fighter.
For sure, for sure. All right, let's move on to the next fight here. I believe we only have a five-fight main card since we had uh, Aspen Lad and Mesa Kias on drop-off. So five-fight main card, uh, regular start time. I believe it's 6 p.m. start time for the prelims or 7 p.m. start time for the prelims and 10 p.m. for the main card. But next fight that we got up is Darren Elkins against Derek Minner. And we got uh, plus 130 on the damage and minus 150 on Derek Minner in this spot. And I think that this is a prime spot for possible recency bias on the Derek Minner side of things. Now, Goes out there, gets his first division uh, d decision win in God knows how long uh, after going out there and just grapple fucking Charles Rosa. And now people all of a sudden think that this guy's a completely changed, a different fighter. This is his 36, 37th pro MMA fight. It took him 36 fights to go out there and realize, oh, if I don't get the first round submission, I'm more often than not losing the second round because I go balls to the wall early in the fight. Apparently, all he had to do is change his training camp to go over to James Krause and Glory MMA uh, to figure that out and, and make those changes but i feel like it's an easy um game plan to go out there and implement a guy uh, against a guy like charles rosso who doesn't seem to be you know super keen in terms of trying to find his way back to his feet uh was quite offensive off of his back trying to lock up a submission on minner but minner pretty well versed in the bjj drama as you can expect was able to stay out of those spots and we me and you both know you your cardio always looks best when you're having massive amounts of success and and and, and are able to kind of dictate where the fight goes and that's exactly what derek minner was able to do against charles rosa that night but he's not going to be able to do that here against darren elkins who you know Hardware-wise, the guy has all the chops, right? He's durable, uh, zombie, likes to move forward and just break his opponents. Uh, but skill-wise, he'll always be outskilled. That's without a doubt. But it's just the other intangibles within MMA that he just absolutely destroys you on, which is why he's able to beat, you know, the Mirsad Bektiches and the, the Chaskellis of the world. And I kind of lump in Derek Minner into that category, if not lower. I do think the... He won't have as much success here against Derek, uh, Darren Elkins. I think Elkins will be able to survive that first round and that possible, uh, you know, uh, submission onslaught coming at him. But after that, I think we're going to see Elkins start to land his own takedowns, get some solid top control, maybe even get some striking off of his own. But I do think that his forward pressure, his clinch heavy pace, and and just landing takedowns if i'm not mistaken he has a record for most takedowns in featherweight history at around 45 or 46 takedowns uh throughout his uh ufc career and i think that's definitely going to play out for him here against derek minner now a lot of people are thinking oh why would he just go into the advantage that derek minner probably has here darren alkins isn't a horrible grappler in his own right the last time he got submitted was 2010 by now ufc lightweight champion charles Oliveira. the guy has some good wrestling chops and grappling chops that he should be able to stay out in any serious submission threats from Derek Minner the longer this fight goes early in the fight I'd be a little bit concerned in terms of you know falling into a guillotine or something like that but I feel like Darren Elkins is just too experienced and too much of a veteran to give up a choke like that you know a guy TJ Laramie gets snatched up in a, a guillotine by Derek Minner and I've, I kind of credit that more to you know the the big lights and you know the the UFC stage and, and TJ still being a little bit new to that that stage here uh but I do think that Darren Elkins has seen it all I think he's a decent underdog spot in this uh fight as well I do think he can go out there and land the takedowns the later that this fight goes break Derek Minner and possibly either win this fight by decision or get another third round finish as we've seen him do in the past. So I do like uh, Darren Elkins in the spot. I'm going to go uh, out as an official pick. I'm going to go with Elkins by decision at plus 290. I think that line is absolutely crazy, uh, but I'll also be sprinkling that uh, Elkins in round three at plus 1700, plus 1400 at a couple of spots as well. So I like Elkins here. I'm interested to hear your take on this fight and whether you think that Darren, uh, 
or Derek Minner will be able to come out on the winning end. How do you feel about this? Son of a bitch stole my notes again. Yeah. <laughs> that's my this is my underdog on the card. I like Derek Let's go. Yeah, I think it's I think it's totally recency bias. Okay, Derek Minner's made an entire career of this. So to think that he's changed his entire game on one fight, and that yeah, Glory MMA and Fitness is a good camp. James Cress is an excellent coach, but to think that he's completely revamped his entire game at this stage of his career, I just find it crazy to believe. He's he's always fails up in these step ups. No, the guy's actually 0-4 for LFA. 0-4 <laughs> in the LFA banner. Yeah. Then he gets a contender series fight, which he loses as a contender series fight. And then he gets into the Against UFC. Against Herbert Burns, right? Yeah, yeah. Definitely the bad Burns. But um <laughs> had yeah, success he, in that fight. Like you had some close submission attempts and stuff. Dude, he actually looked good in the first round. But here's the yeah. thing with Derek Minner. Derek Minner's a gas bag. Derek Minner gases out <laughs> all all the time. No, no, I'm telling you. Okay, so this is his his first, he, he lost his pro debut. He got submitted minute 13. Fair. Okay. This is his next loss. Chad Obel. Obel Miller is actually a decent lot. He's like a regional show veteran. Submitted in the first round, right? Then he loses to John Duvall, who was five and six. He was submitted in the first round. Then he loses to Luke Sanders. Pretty dope. TK in the second round. Then he, his next loss, Jesse Arnett over in Canada. He got subbed in the second round. Gassed out, subbed in the second round. Lost to Chico Camus, who's a flyweight. He lost to Fernando Padilla. He uh, submitted in the first round. This guy's a grappler, by the way. Jordan Griffin. If you watch that Jordan Griffin fight at LFA 34, by the way, I recommend you watch it. It is a thrilling fight. He probably puts Jordan Griffin in half a dozen very tight submission attempts. And when Griffin pulls his head out, he's completely gassed. And Jordan Griffin submits him. It was like, oh shit. The next loss, Kevin Kroom. Kevin Kroom's TKO'd one guy in the last five years. Derek Minner. You know why? Because Derek Minner was fucking gassed out. Now you see him versus Grant Dawson. Gassed. He actually started really good against Grant Dawson. Attacked the guillotine. You know, almost caught him. The Herbert Burns fight. Jeez, he looked good against Burns. Both of those fights, he gasses. Both of those fights, he ends up getting submitted. Now he comes to the UFC. Well, TJ Laramie's really young. He's never been in those bad positions. So whereas Dawson got his head out of those chokes, whereas Jordan Griffin got his head out of those chokes, whereas Herbert Burns got his way out of danger, those guys can get away with that stuff. TJ Laramie couldn't. And then he follows that up with the first decision win of his career, right? Has he ever won a decision in his entire career? No. The first time he's... Oh, that's a lie. He beat Melvin, Marvin Blummer in 2015 by decision. Okay. Oh, and William Osborne in 2013. All I'm getting at is that would be his, like, his third win ever. First in a very long time. And by the way, again, do your tape study. Go watch that fight. He is gassed the entire time after the, the first three or four minutes. The thing is, is the takedowns are so easy against Charles Rosa. He gets them easy. He establishes guard. He stays on top. He wins the rounds. But he's huffing and puffing. And when he goes back to his corner, James Krause is on him like, man, you got, you got to keep this up. You got to keep this up. He's able to do it there, but Charles Rosa can't defend the takedowns. Against Darren Elkins, Elkins is going to make him work the entire time. Elkins just puts a much different pace. First of all, you already mentioned the fact that he hasn't been submitted in over 10 years, and the last guy to do so was Charles Oliveira. But beyond that, he's got the wrestling advantage. He's a better wrestler, wrestled collegiately. He's full-time out of Alpha Male. He's been there for a long time. He's worked with m much better guys on a routine basis. And it's like, well... Who are the guys that take down Darren Elkins? Oh, shit, you know, I see Ricardo Lamas took him down three times. Okay, former title challenger, you know, uh, former junior college All-American. Alexander Volkanovsky took him down. Okay, you know, he's, he's, he's a world champion, you know, former 250-pound rugby player. Oh, Dennis Bermudez, okay, wrestled collegiately. Mursad Bektic, okay, absolute specimen. You know, like, Hakran Diaz, okay, Novi Yao, gas bag. Oh, he was definitely on the juice back in them days. 
if you're elite level, you can take down Darren Elkins. Besides that, you're just going to have to just work and work and work. They call him the damage for a reason, not because he's inflicting it on you, but because he just takes a whole lot of damage and keeps on trucking forward. His fight with Nate Landwehr, and the guy's not even a striker. He landed 121 significant strikes and a takedown. Some people thought he got robbed. A fight with Grigori, seven takedowns. Look at Grigori's face. He's like, man, why isn't this guy leaving me alone? Just keeps <laughs> grinding on him, right? If you're not going to submit him and you're not going to knock him out, you're going to have to fight this guy to the death. And whereas good level guys can do that, I don't think Derek Minner is the type of guy to fight you to the death because he's going to get tired. He's going to get tired. And so I know you love those third round finishes, and I really want to just take an Elkins by decision, but... Yeah, this is this is this is live for an Elkins inside the distance. Now the Elkins by TKO was like plus eight hundred, plus nine hundred, and the Elkins by submission was plus five hundred. Elkins inside the distance is plus three fifty, so it's not as good of a price, but at least it covers you on both sides. But beyond that, I would just take the Elkins straight up money line because you're already getting good plus money on it. And if you want to do a little sprinkle on a pun play or something, Elkins round two or Elkins round three. I think the first round is competitive. I think Minner probably locks up a few of those guillotine chokes. I think Elkins works his way out of it. And that second round, you're going to see Elkins maybe slowing down a tad, but you're going to see Derek Minner is going to be visibly a different guy. The takedowns won't be as easy. The submission attempts won't be coming as frequently. And you're going to see Darren Elkins wear in this guy. And whereas Darren Elkins is not big on TKOs, by the way, it was like plus 900 for a Darren Elkins TKO. Whereas he's not big on TKOs, again, we saw Kevin Kroom do it. Once he's tired and once you're on top, what, the ref's going to stop it at some point? He does tend to give up submissions more than he does TKOs, and that's why the line on the submission is only plus 500. But like in, in my mind, when I play the, the fight in my head, it's like I wouldn't rule out an Elkins TKO sometime later in the fight. But regardless, you can get plus money on him straight up. That would probably be the smartest play. But because we're in the business of taking parlays, I'm going to give up uh, Elkins inside the distance 350. Yeah, I do like the inside the distance over picking as a legitimate um, prop, right? Like in terms of picking the K or submission. And we saw this past week with Nascimento, right? A lot of people thought he'd get the submission, goes out there and gets the TKO. <laughs> I was one of those people, yeah. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And then you miss out on cashing a ticket rather than taking the inside the distance. Last thing I'll say about this matchup, a lot of people are banging on Darren Elkins for getting rocked and hurt by uh, Ryan Hall, who obviously didn't have a great performance his last time out against Ilya Taporia. But like, how is Darren Elkins really supposed to approach that fight? We know what... Uh, Ryan Hall does. He throws that spinning shit and he does cover good distance and uh, does it pretty well with with good speed uh, with throwing those spinning heel kicks, which is what he was able to drop Darren Elkins with. Darren Elkins, we know he wants to go for the takedown, but does he really want to mix up with Ryan Hall on the ground? So I'm sure he was kind of in like a gray zone in terms of the fuck do I do, yet I still have to deal with this unorthodox striking that's coming my way. So yeah, I don't care that he got hurt and rocked by, by Ryan Hall. I'm sure the perception of Ryan Hall right now isn't the greatest but he has some good spinning kicks let's give him that and he he throws it with speed and he yeah. covers great distance with it and darren elkins doesn't really react the greatest in terms of getting out of the way of big shots because he just likes taking it on the chin <laughs> but not to mention again clipping getting clipped on the side of the head with those types of strikes i'm not going to fault him too much for that i think people are reading way way too much into that and you're going to say brother yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree with that. I mean, he hit Gray Manor with a lot of them same kicks, and they look good. And as bad as he looked against Tapuria, he threw a pretty nasty head kick in the first, like, 30 seconds. Now, right? they, say, they say it's the one you don't see coming. You know, a lot of guys have legendary chins. They, they've taken a ton of damage, and then it's that one short shot. It's the one that you don't see coming. You always hear that in boxing. It's been, like, a notoriously long... Well, here's the thing. When you get hit in the face with a sweet chin music, uh, <laughs> you don't see it coming. And I think that's the biggest thing. Elkins has got a style predicated on 
you know, backing you up, bringing you down. You know, he's he's dealt with a lot of styles in the gym before, but nobody does that. Nobody fights like Ryan Hall. And as a result, great did the same thing. You get so frustrated trying to just follow this guy and he's dancing that your hands are low. You you make a momentary lapse in judgment and boom, Shawn Michaels right to the face. So <laughs> I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. Nate Landwehr hit him with the kitchen sink and he, he, he took all them shots. I mean, it was a very thrilling fight. It was a good fight. It was a close fight. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. However, at some point, yeah, maybe Elkins and the damage that he's incurred in his career is starting to catch up to him. I'll give him a pass on that Ryan Hall fight as well. I like it. I like it. All right. Let's go on to the Coleman event. This one I'm very much looking forward to. We got Kyler Phillips going, to get, going up against Holly and Paiva. Paiva up at 135 pounds now. And I had to hit up somebody from Team Alpha Mo that we both know, Mike Malata. I had to get to him and be like, hey, what are you seeing from Paiva? What do you like about the kid? And the first thing that he said right off the bat, how the fuck was this kid making 125 pounds? Stupidest decision he's ever made for his uh, his career. And now the fact that he's at 135 pounds, he truly likes that and thinks he could definitely thrive at this weight class. Now, Paiva, most of us will remember him from his last attempt at trying to make the weight, botching the weight cut, and then obviously not ending up fighting. Uh, I'm trying to recall the opponent off the top of my head, but I can't. But he did kind of have to fall out of a fight due to his uh, uh, unsuccessful weight cut. But now having to cut 10 pounds less, uh, I think it would definitely benefit him, especially inside the cage uh not to mention he has taken this fight on somewhat short notice uh i'm not too mad at that i believe he's stepping in for a half yellow sun style which would have been a huge fight for kyler phillips and that just lets you know where the ufc actually puts phillips and the kind of trajectory that he's currently on holly and Piva, though i think I used to call him the dark horse of the flyweight division. You know, he did drop that fight to Kai Car France, a fight that I thought he truly won. Got a bit of the hometown rub from Kai Car France, uh, having that fight in his backyard. But then again, that Zalgas Zumagula fight could have gone either way as well. Probably the Zumagula side. So Paiva definitely, you know, it balances out there getting the getting the win and loss in that aspect. But I do think that Paiva was compromised going into that Zumagula fight. If you guys remember, he missed that fight, uh, missed weight, I believe, by by two or three pounds in that fight. And I felt even though he got the win, there were certain spots where he probably could have done better, you know, if he had a, a little bit better of a weight cut or managed his, uh, you know, his his endurance and his cardio a little bit better. I'm expecting to see better cardio and durability from him this time around against uh, Kyler Phillips. But Kyler Phillips is a mean son of a bitch himself, right? Uh, I will throw this out there, though. I feel like Kyler Phillips is getting a little bit too much of a this hype tax on him, right? He's minus 300, opened up as a minus 150 favorite, and people just absolutely steamed, steamed his line to around that minus. 300 range um i think they're just automatically overlooking paiva and a lot of people are just going to be like look he lost to zumagula last time around and he was giving up takedowns here and there but i again i do think he was slightly compromised there i think paiva has a great striking game good muay thai black belt in jiu-jitsu another guy going up there to team alpha to try to round out his game which will hopefully help his takedown defense which is already pretty good but we did see uh zumagula had some success in terms of dragging the fight to the ground at certain points when he wanted to in this fight uh another optically speaking good thing for to holly and paiva here is he seems to be the guy that's always moving forward kind of controlling the cage and controlling the the pace of the fight at least in most of his fights and whereas kyler phillips it seems like he's fine with playing that matador role staying on the outside sticking and moving and just landing his shots whenever he tries to close the distance the difference here though is i do think he's going to struggle with the striking of holly and paiva here who in my opinion is a very good striker i think he has great muay thai you know we saw Gabriel Silva, even though he didn't win a round off of Kyler Phillips, he was having success marching down Phillips and just landing some good shots. I just don't think he's as good of a striker as what Paiva brings to the table, which is where I think Paiva will have more success than Silva did and could potentially steal some rounds off of the judges here. 
I think the line is a little bit too wide. I like Paiva in this spot as well. Plus 240 is a great line. I'm going to be taking a shot on the money line there myself. But even for him to win by decision, I think he's sitting around plus 450. I don't mind that spot at all as, again, optically speaking, he does some good things. Uh, Paiva by decision plus 455 is what the line is right now. Again, I think Phillips is the truth. I think he has great potential, and I think that he could definitely uh, fulfill that potential. But stylistically speaking, I think that this is a tough fight for him. And the line, again, a little bit too wide. And optically speaking, I think that Paiva can go out there and make this a much closer fight. And I'd like to hold a plus 240 ticket in a fight that I believe will go to decision. And uh, if it's close, you know, I think that we're going to get some value off of, uh, off of Paiva. The, the last thing I'll say about this, when I'm talking about pi uh, value and close fights that I believe are going to go to a decision, I'm going to point to that Jessica I versus Jennifer Maya fight that we had a couple uh, weeks ago. Plus 165 is what I got Jessica I on. And even though you know some people are going to stick their flag on the ground and be like, oh, Jennifer Maya easily won that fight. Just head on over to MMA decisions and just look at uh, the, the scoring there. You have the media completely split on that. And you Did have they, the fans really? scoring. Media was split on that, and fan scoring was in favor of Jennifer, or, or sorry, of Jessica I. You know, I believe there was a fifty percent, uh, or sorry, uh, she was sixty-seven uh, percent of people scored the first round for Jessica I. Sixty-seven percent of people scored round three for Jessica I as well. Close fight, didn't get to cash my ticket, but got some solid value on that plus one sixty-five dog, making it a much closer fight than the odds indicate, which is exactly what I'm expecting this weekend with Phillips and Paiva. So Phillips will be able to stick and move. Lana's good shots. I would like to see a little bit better striking defense from Paiva, but Paiva has a mean chin on him, and I believe he should be able to take the shots from Kyler Phillips here and then dish out his own damage and make a case for himself if this fight does reach the judges' scorecard. So I like Paiva here. I have a feeling I know who you like in this spot, but I'd still like to see how you break down this fight, brother. Yeah, you know what screwed you in the Jessica I fight was the inverted headbutt, yes. right? That that splits yeah. her head open. Now there's blood everywhere. Now you're gonna score it for the person who's not bleeding everywhere. It's it's optic. It's all optics. And so yeah, when you when you think it's gonna be a close fight and you think it's gonna go to the decision, I think this is going the dis the distance. Yeah, why not why not take that plus money play? I, I agree with you, but I, I do find myself going with Kyler Phillips. The only way that Kyler Phillips loses this thing is if he's able to uh, get broken late. Paiva is capable of doing that, but what I'd rather do is instead of betting the Paiva ticket right now, I'd rather bet the Paiva ticket after the first round. Kyler Phillips is going to be way faster than him. He's a better athlete. He's got the faster hands. He's got a better kick arsenal. And he's going to be able to mix in those takedowns. But what we did see Kyler Phillips against Song Yudong is he definitely started to slow down the longer that fight went. And of course, by the numbers, he got outstruck like 67 to 55 um, by Song Yudong. It was a close fight. It was a good performance by him. You see how talented this guy is. You see where his ceiling could potentially be. But against pressure fighters that are going to keep coming after him and throw good volume, it's going to be a problem. Everything we know about Pava, we know about Pava as a flyweight. And I will agree, at 135 pounds, he should have more energy. He should uh, you know, have better output. Bat not doesn't have a bad weight cut. He's able to go out there and actually put his game together. Maybe he's better. But that's just, you know, that's maybe. That's just, you know, wishful thinking. You look at his run, it's been good, but I mean, it hasn't been great. He won on the Contender Series against Alan Nascimento. Split decision win for him. He gets taken down in that fight. Then he fights Kai Carfrance, split decision loss. Again, we know it's close, but he does give up two takedowns in that fight. The Rogerio Bontran fight, it was a cut stoppage, so you give him the benefit of the doubt, but he got taken down twice in that fight. Mark De La Rosa, that, that, that's, a, that's a win for anybody in the division, right? Let's be real. So he gets the win over De La Rosa. That's fine. But, you know, it's kind of expected. And then the fight with Zalga Zumagulov. Again, he gets taken down twice. In my opinion, he lost the fight. He got outstruck and taken down. Missed weight. Came in at 129 pounds. Missed weight, outstruck, taken down. Still wins the fight. That doesn't look good to me. So now he fights. He, he's booked to fight um, David Dvorak. Actually, first he's fight 
fighting Amir Al-Bazi three months later, he pulls out, right? Seven months later, he gets David Dvorak, and he's hospitalized due to a bad wake up. That's only eight weeks ago. Eight weeks ago, he's forced to go to the hospital because his body's shutting down. Yeah, no shit, he should have been fighting at 135 all along. And now he is fighting at 135. But eight weeks, eight weeks ago he was hospitalized. I don't think his body's fully grown. I don't think he's filled into this frame yet. And I think that dealing with his natural advantage at flyweight is that he's the biggest dude in the weight class next to the ex-champion Davidson Figueredo. At 135, that natural advantage is off the table. And that's where I think Phillips is going to have success. If Zalgas is taking you down, Bonterin's taking you down, Kaikara France is taking you down, Alan Nassimeno's taking you down, you don't think Kyler Phillips would be able to get the takedowns? And as well as that Matador style, I mean, Paiva moves forward. I think that he's going to be able to intercept him, land some nice-looking counters, mix in those takedowns, land some kicks, and hopefully pull that for two of those three rounds. I'm not worried about Kyler Phillips. I'm worried about the longer this thing goes, Paiva just doesn't go away because he's super durable. Just doesn't go away, keeps coming at him, and makes us a lot dicier than I'd like. Make us more of a sweat than I'd like it to be. And like you're saying, if it's going to be a sweat, I want the plus 220 ticket. And that makes a lot of sense, brother. It really does. But on this occasion, I'm going to keep with Kyler Phillips. I already have him on those parlays, so I'm ride or die with him at this point anyway. I can't, I can't get out of those quite yet. If it was a hedge situation, great, but I still need Artsay to win. I still need a couple guys to come through first. So with Phillips, I'm going to go with him. But if I don't like this 3-1 to price tag, and I don't, I improve it all day long by taking that Phillips by decision, which could be had. Uh, it's minus 110. You don't get a plus money play out of it. But, you know, it's it's near even money depending on where your book's at. And, again, I think that Phillips is ultra-talented, but Pava just don't go away, you know. He's tough to submit. He's tough to knock out. He has been stopped due to a cut stoppage, but a nasty cut, by the way. Like, I very rarely agree with cut stoppages, but his, whole, his whole eyebrow is otherwise fallen off, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what were you, was he supposed to get plastic surgery and just be, like, disfigured for life like just call it off and we'll come back and we'll do it again sometime i i agree with that stoppage but it's also a cheapy cheapy stoppage like what are the chances that you know you got bombed with that one shot don't expect it to happen again so i think phillips just controls at least two of those three rounds and settles in for a decision which i'm going to take at minus 110 but uh, uh this this is the point of the night where i'll be sweating if everything goes accordingly and i can get this co-main event you know i i will agree it's not a great line but i think phillips is the superior fighter and at 135 where he's the natural guy should be able to get the victory. So hopefully I'm not wrong on this one because I just need three key guys to come through. He would be one of them. A very unfortunate fight for Paiva against Bontrain, like you were talking about, because he landed a beautiful shot on Bontrain, opening up a cut and even blowing up the eye of uh, of Bontrain that night. And then in return, Bontrain lands a beautiful knee and he gets the, the cut stoppage there. So it's a very bad luck for Paiva in that spot, especially I, if I'm not mistaken. Actually, but that was the second loss now that I'm thinking about it. You're going to say? Did I lose you? You look like you uh you froze on me for a second there. Yep, you're definitely frozen. <laughs> I hope it's not my internet, but I'm pretty certain it's you because I'm looking at the YouTube stream and you're still frozen. So hopefully we can get him to uh to pop out and pop back in. <laughs> and it couldn't be a more flattering uh image of him uh freezing up on us here. It looks like he's taking a shit over there, but <laughs> this is gonna be one way for him to get back in here. <laughs> let me uh let me remove him and try to bring him back. Yeah, he, he's blacked out. I'm sure he'll jump. <laughs> yeah, he's hopped out now. He'll I'm sure he'll hop out or hop back in in a second here. <laughs> oh. I'm sure somebody's uh, somebody screenshotted that. Yeah, my guy OK has screenshotted that here. 
Oh, that cracked me up. Let me see if I can get him back in here. There he is. There's my guy, Cody. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Was it on my end or your end? It was definitely dude? your end because I was looking at the live stream as well on YouTube and it looked and it was definitely you. <laughs> was it? Okay, I, I looked on my side and like you you were the one cutting out and then it just both went to pinwheel and then it was like something went wrong. I was like, okay. Are, are just... you watching on StreamYard or are you watching it on, the, uh, on YouTube? I got it on StreamYard. It's, it's yeah, StreamYard will always show ours as best as possible, Here but I the am. YouTube uh, one is where it'll, where it'll show what's actually going on. Well, sons of bitches. We only got <laughs> one fight left to go. Uh, it, okay, I'll, I'll leave you with this, and then we can move on. Imagine yeah. you are Rolian Paiva. You're getting ready. They're like, dude, you want to fight David Dvorak at 125? You're like, yeah, okay, cool. I'm with that. Know what? Let's not fight David Dvorak at 125. Let's fight Kyler Phillips at 135. Like, oh, shit, man. That's a step up. But, hey, I'm a fighter. I'll take it. If you're Kyler Phillips, you're getting ready for Hafela Sunso. And they're like, dude, you want to take on 135-pound Hafela Sunso? Oh, wait, would you rather take on 128 or 129-pound Holy Impeva coming up from flyweight on short notice, hospitalized two weeks ago, doesn't have nearly the resume of this man? You know, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Am I getting paid the same amount of money? Yeah, okay, yeah, that's the one you're jumping on, right? So, I don't know, hopefully he's overprepared. And hopefully Pave is a little underprepared. And then, yeah, we got the main event, baby. All right, let's move it on right to the main event, like you're saying. But I do want to remind you guys, as always, hit that like, hit that subscribe. I can't believe we got 275 motherfucking people in here right now, 11.45 a.m. Eastern. But uh, I, I kind of like it. I, I, I got to say, I kind of like it. So shout out to all you guys watching the show with us. Make sure you guys hit that like, hit that subscribe. And then obviously show my guy Cody some love on his YouTube channel as well. The link is in the description below. All right. Let's fucking move on to the main event here. Big bantamweight scrap. We got Corey Sandhagen taking on TJ Dillashaw in his first fight since getting popped for EPO after he had lost his 125-pound uh, debut against Henry Suhudo. Uh, I believe that was January of 2019. So he served his suspension. He is back in the game now. Uh, looks a little aged from some of the pictures I've been seeing circulating online, but he still looks in damn good shape. I'll definitely give him that. And I'm sure he's happy that he doesn't have to cut down to 125 pounds this weekend. Back at his natural weight class out of 135 pounds. And uh, I feel like people are... Like th there's so many unknowns in this fight, mostly on the TJ Dillashaw side of things, right? Like how is he going to look after such an extended period of time off? Now, I don't believe he ever really let himself go, right? He did have a couple of surgeries quickly thereafter after he got suspended. So I'm sure he had a couple lingering issues that he wanted to get take care of, especially now that he had two years to do fuck all. But after he had recovered from that and gotten back to 100%, it seems like he's been helping out his training partners, uh, Juan Archuleta, Cub Swanson, those guys out of the training lab over there in California, uh, so he's been staying active. He's been staying around the games and he's definitely been staying uh, familiar with it, which will definitely help him once he steps back into the cage this weekend. Now, TJ obviously seen as one of the bantamweight goats, especially the run that he was able to put together, especially after dispatching of the monster Hennen Barrow back at UFC 70, 170, whatever it was. But uh, that was probably one of the greatest performances I've ever seen, especially for a guy coming into that fight as a plus 400 underdog. I remember like that week after that fight, I probably watched that performance three, four or five times because that just from beginning to end, absolute brutality from TJ Dillashaw and nobody expected it, which made it even better.
uh, we know what he brings to the table, right? Great footwork, good striking from the outside, good combinations, just a lot of like misdirection type of stuff to kind of trap you and then eventually capitalize on that. But the ace in the hole for him in this spot, I think is going to be his wrestling. And that's definitely something a lot of people have been talking about throughout this fight week. The issue is, is he going to be able to sustain that over five rounds, which is what I think he's going to need to do here. Uh, especially with the grapple heavy game plan we know how much that you know taxes the cardio and the gas tank and that's what a lot of people have been accusing tj of is you know has been on shit his whole career which allows him to go a full five rounds of doing that type of work and that type of output so let's see if he can actually do that first and foremost we definitely know that's a, a little bit of an achilles heel to Corey sanding and if we've seen any achilles heel from sanding and it's been from the grappling uh aspect on the feet i think sanding will be the slicker striker a little bit faster to the punch as well which should cause tj dillashaw some problems here and this is a very tough fight for dillashaw to come back to after such a, a lengthy layoff and now obviously after something so um dramatic like uh you saw the suspension but you know me and you have heard the talk around the town a lot of people have heard it now too that you know Sanhagen used to get a, the better of Dillashaw and Dillashaw even admitted it uh you know a couple years in one of his interviews where he's talking about getting lit up by a 1-0 pro 2-0 pro and it only fuels his fire to try to get better and top those types of guys uh but he called for this fight right he could have easily said, I want to sit out. I want to wait for the title. I vacated the title. Well, give me my title shot again. But obviously, what Piotr Jan and Aljo having their uh, situation going on and having to rematch, he's like, the next best thing is probably Sandhagen. And for good reason. Now, a lot of people believe Sandhagen is the toughest threat to Piotr Jan for that bantamweight strap. But he's going to have to get through TJ Dillashaw here, which I think is going to be a very tough task for him to do. Uh, I will say one thing about this. I, when I did clinch show earlier this week, I kind of broke down Corey Sandhagen's finishes and kind of compared it to the fact that I don't think that DJ Dillashaw will get caught in those similar situations. So like starting off with the Austin Arnett fight body shot KO is what it is. You can catch almost anybody with that if you find the right spot at the right time. A lot difficult, very difficult to do. The Yuri Alcantara fight goes out there and almost gets his arm snapped in half for the majority of that first round, but he survives it, gets through it, and then absolutely TKOs a gassed out Yuri Alcantara in round two. Armbar victory against Mario Bautista, good win for him there. Split decision against John Lineker, good win. Uh, unanimous decision over Rafael Sansa, good win. The loss to Aljamain Sterling. Got to chalk it up to Aljamain Sterling just being the much better grappler in that situation. Marlon Rice just puts an absolute clinic on him, gassing him out as well, um, and just you know overloading the fuses of Marlon Rice, and then eventually landing that wheel kick to put him out. And then the Frank Edgar fight. We know Frank Edgar's chin, but then again, that would knock out anybody. That would knock out anybody. Exactly is what I was about to say. Yeah. That would knock out anybody. I'd, but I'd be surprised. <clears throat> If he caught a guy like TJ Dillashaw with that type of move there. So uh, what I'm trying to get to is that a lot of unknown unknowns in this fight. I do like the fact that TJ will have the grappling advantage in this fight and has that wrestling to lean on if he needs to. Um, and the last time we saw him lean on it was against a guy like John Lineker who had massive power in his hands and he wanted to stay away from it. I think he should be successful with takedowns here. My only question mark is how long is he going to be able to maintain that before he eventually runs into something that Corey Sanding is going to be able to muster up, trap him with, and then eventually knock him out with. Stay away fight for me personally. I am leaning with the dog here with uh, TJ Dillashaw. I see his line ballooning up a little bit now. He's at plus 165. Uh, I like Dillashaw by decision. I think that's the best way for him to win this fight. Again, with the grapple heavy approach, plus 420. I've seen a couple of people with some takes out there saying that Dillashaw by, by submission is a possibility at plus 1135. I think I'm going to pass on that myself. Um, but yeah. 
Sandhagen knockout or Dillashaw decision is kind of where I'm seeing this fight goes. Uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your breakdown if you see anything different than I do. But ultimately, in terms of a prediction for myself, I'm going to go with Dillashaw by decision at plus 420. How are you seeing this going down? I mean, it's the main event of the night. It's a great main event. It's a great-looking card, so you want action on it. But, I mean, realistically speaking, there's just not much action to be had here. I like Corey Sandhagen personally, but I'll be the first one to admit, the line's off. I mean, TJ Dillashaw is nearly a perfect fighter. I've been on record saying this years ago before he got pop of the EPO. And if he's a different guy because of the, the EPO, fair. I'll, I'll eat my words there. But what does this guy do that you don't like? I mean, wrestling, spectacular. Wrestled collegiately, great athlete. Spent a lot of time at Alpha Male working on that specific craft. His wrestling salt, takedown defensive salt. His striking, another level. Spent all that time doing privates with Dwayne Ludwig. His footwork's incredible. You know, excellent punch selection. Great, um, great power for the weight class. Cardio, probably because of the EPO, but endless. You know, can fight hard, hard five rounds. This this guy does everything well. But then, if you had to just, if you had to be an asshole and you had to point out like maybe one thing, it's like, yeah, maybe he isn't the most durable guy going. We all know about that John Dodson fight on the Ultimate Fighter finale back in the day. Caught the overhand right, knocked out very first round. You know, Cody Garbrandt on record being like, yeah, I used to kick this guy's ass in the gym all the time as well. I dropped him in the gym. First fight between him and Cody Garbrandt, he does get dropped in that first round. And then again, we can chalk it up to a bad weight cut. It was probably a bad weight cut. But his last fight against Henry Cejudo, knocked out in 32 seconds, never got going. If there was one thing that didn't make him that perfect fight, Luke Rockhold, in my opinion, is almost a perfect fighter as well. What does yeah. Luke Rockhold do bad? Uh, two of five, Luke Rockhold, not as much, but He's just, he's chinny. That's his problem, is that when you're fighting the best guys in the world, it's going to come out. Would I like to see him versus Peter Yawn? Absolutely. But that's going to turn into a dirty dog fight at some point. And Peter Yawn's going to thrive in that situation, and TJ's going to curl up. You know, you hit him with your best shot, I don't know that he's going to still be there. So him versus Corey Sanhagen, super interesting. But the five rounds should be the key difference for Sanhagen. I can see TJ coming out here and working his wrestling, trying to take this guy, neutralize him a little bit. But over the course of 25 minutes, is he going to wrestle for 25 minutes? I don't think so. The narrative of he's going to submit him, why is that? You know, TJ hasn't submitted a guy in what, like 10 years? When was the last time he submitted a guy? Like 2015, not 10 years, you know, six, seven years ago. So it's been a long time since he submitted anyone. And with Sanhagen, it's like, oh, he got submitted by Aljamain Sterling? That's, that's a pass-worthy fight. Sterling is a grappling expert, has nasty submissions, hit a, su a, a Sula of stretch on somebody. Like, on, on Cody Stamen, who's actually a pretty credible opponent. Like, the guy's yeah. pretty legit. I don't think that TJ is going to take him down, backpack him, you know why they call him the funk, the funk master? It's from grappling. When you'd grapple him, it was like, holy shit, how does he do that? How does he move like that? How does he get this position? How does he squirm out of this position? You know, he, he's, he's a nimble guy. He's a very flexible guy, and he's a very tricky type fighter. The wrestling and the grappling from TJ is a lot more straightforward. So if he does get the takedown, and I'm not ruling out that he could get a takedown, I just think that Sanhagen's going to be able to survive till the end of the round and start the next one standing, or at the very least, hopefully, Work your way back up. When they are standing, again, TJ, who wants to strike with TJ? Great point. But Sanhagen's not going to be out of his, his dimension. They trained together for a while. I mean, they were both actually with Dwayne Ludwig, and they spent time in California together with Marlo Chito Vera. So they're familiar with each other. And this is what I was telling Paul Shaughnessy. When, when you were Corey Sanhagen, you were 1-0, 2-0, you were like, yo, I'm fighting the world champion. I'm fighting the best guy in the division, a guy that's considered one of the greatest of all times at 135 pounds. When, you're, when you were TJ Dillashaw fighting this kid, he was untapped potential, man. He was green. He was young. He was still learning. You could get away with stuff. They mean two years later, TJ's on the regression. Has to be. Because one, we're assuming he's not on EPO anymore, but also it's just like naturally his body's gotten older. 
where Sanhagen seems to be getting more comfortable and more comfortable. How does he rebound from the Aljamain loss? He comes out and puts on two spectacular wins over two very credible level guys. And again, the, the manner in which he's knocking them out could knock out anybody. If he hits TJ with that same knee, if he hits TJ with the overhand, if he, if he just even batters him and puts a pace on him, it could be good. But that, that, all of that being said, the line is still very much so off. So if I got Sanhagen on tickets, and you know, got, you guys know how I roll, I'll put all these guys on a ticket at the very least. But the tickets that have Sanhagen, if, they, if they're unscathed coming to the main event, this is an easy hedge out because I can get solid plus money on TJ, and I know it's a dangerous fight. However, we're in the business of making pre-fight picks. And the pre-fight pick is going to have to be Corey Sanhagen. I also kind of went with that Sanhagen by TKO at plus 125. It's it's 25 minutes to work with, dude. That's a long time. I think that at some point he's able to find the the, the just find the kill shot, right, and, and put Dillashaw away. Um, but again, I mean that's just that's just kind of forcing a prop. That's not a prop that I love. That's not a prop that I go to. But it is plus money, and I don't think Sanhagen beats him by decision. So if I'm picking Sanhagen, I would have to pick him inside the distance. He's not submitting Dillashaw. I get the TKO. You were kind of mentioning you d don't mind Dillashaw clearly, but it was like Dillashaw by decision. You could see it go in the distance. So I, I'm going to agree with that. If TJ wins, this thing's going 25. TJ loses, this thing's, this thing's going inside the distance. I don't think Sanhagen's going to outpoint him for 25 more than he'll just catch him at some point along the way. Anyways, I could, I could talk about this fight all day because it's like you just go back and forth in your own mind. It's like the price is off. I'm definitely, definitely going to agree with that, but it's not off to the point where I'm just going to force an underdog pick out of it. Like Sanhagen, I've never bet against Sanhagen, and the only time it's cost me was uh, was the Aljamain Sterling fight. He's he's cast iron chin. He took 106 of John Lineker's best shots. Live yeah. to tell the tale. The guy's cast iron. The submission problem maybe a tad issue, but not against TJ. So I think he's going to be able to last. And at some point in that 25, he'll give himself a chance to get the uh, the inside the distance finish. TKO 125. Let's get this question from John West out of the way because he does want to get your thoughts here on the under three and a half at minus one twenty five and not to end uh, round five minus one fifty two. How do you feel about that? Yeah, so honestly, I don't mind that under three and a half or the fight not to end in round five minus one fifty two because again, I think that with Sanhagen, he Sanhagen could finish you second, third, fourth round, but the way he fights, man, he's got a style that he could end it at any minute. I, I love decisions. You guys know me. I love decisions. So I always try to look at that angle of, well, is this thing going to go the distance? And with Sanhagen, it'd be hard to get a beat because one, he could go rounds. On the other hand, it's like he could just end you at any point. You've got TJ's a guy coming off a two-year-long layoff. He's a little bit older. He's not on the same juice that he was before. He got knocked out in 32 seconds in his last fight by natural flyweight. Uh, three and a, under three and a half looks good to me, brother. That's how I feel. But that's all kind of forcing. I want main event action. I want some action on this fight. You know, it's the big one. I feel like I'm forcing it. And to the guys backing TJ, I, I get it as well. You're chasing that price. You think TJ can win. And why not get a nice plus money tag on one of the best martial artists on the planet? And TJ is that guy. But uh, at some point, like, the torch needs to be passed. And uh, I think Sanhagen's that next level guy. So... We'll see how. Oh, by the way, none of these guys beat Peter Yawn. Like I'm, I'm firm on that. I'm I'm firm on that. Don't matter who wins this, you're not being Peter Yawn. And Aljamain sure as shit ain't being Peter Yawn. He's a uh, he's a specimen. He's a specimen. He's in my opinion the greatest of all time. I know people want to see him win more fights. Don't worry, don't worry. That, that'll it's come. coming. That'll, that'll come. That'll come. <laughs> the only way you can screw this guy is if you put him on the sideline for a year and ice him because Aljo needs surgery. Like you know, line them up. Peter Yawn's knocking them down. Scary dude, but uh, outside of that, I think Sanhagen might have a better chance with him because he's durable, right? He can at least take some of those shots and keep going, whereas TJ could fight one hell of a fight against Peter Yawn, but at some point, some point, you know how Yawn works, right? It's just like, yeah. you could be losing the round. Look at the Jimmy Rivera fight. It's like, oh shit, yep. 
Peter Yan doesn't look superhuman. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, dude, superhuman. And then the second round's like, no, no, shit, he, he wasn't super. Oh, superhuman. Dude is just five rounds. He's built for five rounds, man. For he, sure. He is an extreme problem. Anyways, yeah, no, I, I actually don't mind that under three and a half in the fight, not to end in the fifth. Um, but that's just that's just personally. All right, let's move on to my favorite segment of the show, as I'm sure everybody loves it as well. But first and foremost, I do want to remind you guys, we do have the ultimate weigh-in show tonight, and I finally finalized my guest for tonight. Tonight, we got my guy, AJ, MMA betting, AJ Sholo. He's going to be coming on uh, DFS by the numbers. Shout out to my guy, Brady. He's going to be, yeah, he's going to be good, jumping man. on the show tonight good. as well. And then we got my guy, Liam Picks Fights as well. He's a very sharp dude as well. Uh, now I'm getting around to start repeating guests. So you guys have definitely seen these guys on the show before, uh, and now it's time to start bringing some of these guys back that absolutely killed it and these are three dudes that absolutely killed it so make sure you guys tune in tonight 9 p.m eastern as we break down the fights for you guys one last time especially with us having the weigh-ins in mind now which start off in a couple minutes here so i'm going to be jumping on over to there once we finish this up all right let's get in to the three best bets that we got for you guys as soon as my PowerPoint will catch up. There we go. All right. I'll start things off as always. My first one that I like, Sean Sor or uh, Punahali Soriano in round one, plus 300. I like that spot there. I'm going to have to take a shot. Considering I believe Brandon Allen has some durability issues, he's been knocked out in the past, and Soriano we know can crack like a motherfucker. So I do like uh, Punahali Soriano to get that first round knockout. Plus 300. I love that line there. Second up, I got Eubanks inside the distance at plus 170. Now, historically speaking, I know she's not much of a finisher, but I feel like there is enough of an advantage for her on the ground here to potentially find that finish. Again, these are those spots that we need to take advantage of where, historically speaking, it might not be the right bet, but if you see something on tape that you believe is going to be an advantage that the, the odds makers and the lines can't absolutely uh, to pick up on, I feel like you got to take advantage of it. And this uh, is definitely one of those spots where I feel like Eubanks will be able to find that finish at plus 170. And then lastly, you guys, it's been a long time. But I have to give you guys a round three prop here. I'm going Elkins, round three, plus 1,700. Let's fucking go. There are a couple round three spots on this card that I do like. This is definitely one of my favorites. I will say Arce is another one that I'd potentially be looking at. Heinish is another one I'd be potentially looking at. But I do like the Stern Elkins round three. That's my favorite one out of all of those spots that I just laid out for you guys. All right, Cody, you're up, my brother. Okay, I, I usually take the weenie approach, and so we're gonna go with the we're gonna go with the minus one ten with uh, Kyler Phillips by decision. Again, there's no discrediting the toughness of Pava. I just think that Kyler Phillips is a real deal, speed, athletic, uh, athletic advantage, and mixing in those takedowns is key. He's the bigger guy at one thirty five. Pava's not only moving up a weight class, but coming in on short notice. So Phillips, Phillips by decision minus one ten. Now we gotta get a little plus money, right? So we're gonna move over to Adrian Yanez by KO, and by plus money, I mean real technically speaking. We got a uh, plus 100 with Adrian Yanez. I didn't feel trying to go with the one and a half or the two and a half. Don't know when he gets the job done, but I really feel like this guy's coming into his own. Great counter striker, big power in his hands, and the way that Randy Costa fights, he he plays into the hand of a natural counter puncher. So it could be a dicey first three and four minutes, but at some point Yanez catches him plus 100. Okay, my balls finally dropped. I need a real plus money, plus 125. Not exactly uh, great, but here's what I do. I try to build up the bankroll, play it safe, and my boy Locke hits you with the big one. So, you know, hopefully we win at least two of three. That seems to be the trend with me these days. But go two out of three on the props, and then if you just hit even one of these sons of bitches, Elkins for third round, oh, baby, that would be a big one. So I like how we've always had that different style, right? You go for them big plus money tags. I go for the ones that I think are going to just you know, double up our money. That's what we're trying to do. Go win one unit at a time, and then you can get a little bit of bold 
try to hit one of these 17 unit plays you know that'd be a nice one to hit god damn that'd be a nice one to hit cody we're a match made in heaven with this approach come on i know i know and just like just talking to you like i said it's like you looked at my notes like we're on the same page for sure man like i I feel i feel like we got a lot of the same reads which i feel good about because i always uh, appreciate and very value your insights and your opinions on these fights so feeling good about that hopefully the key guys can come through the differences that we had were like you know around round time yeah. or you know method of, of of victory but for the most part i think we agree here i like this look this card and shout out like you know i, I shot you a message was it yesterday like last night late last night i think like, you want to shoot it in the morning like 10 in the morning Let's and go. you're just like yeah you're just like yeah in man cool like we'll do it live i was like who the fuck's gonna wake up at, night, at 10 o'clock in the morning almost 300 people yeah apparently. yeah and and again that's that's humbling stuff man it really is so i appreciate you guys taking your friday morning to join us whether you're at work you're cutting the lawn you're enjoying this beautiful day it really does mean a lot so thanks as always you can hit me up on twitter at cj saftik on youtube cj mma and if you're not subscribed already go ahead and do so right now it's got a little sweet little surprise coming out uh very, 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 very shortly. So if you subscribe okay. now, you might be able to see it. Yeah, I know, I know. A little tee up. I'll, I'll do another little tease up on Twitter. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Cool video being launched very shortly over there. So appreciate all the support. And let's go cash some tickets this weekend, guys. Oh, yeah. I do want to quickly put out there, I do like the Heinish by Decision and Giannis by KO. Those are two of my spots as well. But I don't like having the same picks just to give you guys a little bit more variety as well. Um, yeah. Shout out to everybody that was able to join us here nice and early. Um don't know what else more to say. Is there anything that you want to say on the back end here, Cody? You seem to pretty much wrap it up pretty nicely there. No, that's about it. I mean, I know we always tried to make it same schedule, just Thursdays at 8 o'clock. And, I mean, we, we got bounced. I mean, we were originally – fuck, what were they called? Oz.com. They're so dead to me, by the way. That's a story for every day. <laughs> but, I mean, like, originally they gave us a cool platform, and I felt like we built a little community. There were some awesome guys came in, the chat room. They used to, like, monitor it a bit. Some guy would be like, fuck you, dickhead. <laughs> and they delete it, right? We, we don't even have it anymore. We just let it go. And people are super respectful. Again, I think we're bringing, doing a great job of bringing people to the same page. But then we had to move it. And then it was Thursday, 8 o'clock. And we're doing that. And then last week, you know, scheduling air. And I can see a lot of these scheduling errors coming up in the future. Again, it's just, it's a really busy time of year. Really, a lot of things going on. I never want to get people to pay for the show. I flirted with the idea of like, maybe we just throw it on Patreon for five bucks just to make it worth it while for everyone. But I want to give you guys free content. That's kind of always been the aim so i just i just appreciate that you guys were able to tune in at 10 or catch the replay on youtube that you still uh support us respect the show and all that so uh, again i mean i know i probably wrap up most shows being like oh the fans are the best the fans are the best but they are dude i'm just a, a rambling guy with some opinions right it's it's <laughs> that it's them that come in tune in and uh keep me going give me the positive action and then when we crush tickets like we did last week fully on 10 on crushing some tickets this week as well but th then when you see the people being like oh yeah don't worry it was just a bad bounce the week before like Fucking Steven Thompson, speaking of bad bounces. I know. Fuck. That was a 10K <laughs> night for me, dude. Speaking of Sanford MMA screwing me. Uh, um, anyways, I, I always say I'm going to stop talking about that. So this time, I'll tell you, I'm going to stop talking about that. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we can do this again next week. If for whatever reason we weren't able to do an episode, I will give you my uh, the, the saptic guarantee that we'll hit up the pay-per-views at the very least. We won't let you go stranded on a big card but you know if it's a lackluster offering and the shit going on life is life and between matchmaking matchmaking two pro cards doing the DraftKings show um doing the horses obviously it's just got one horse in the barn but looking at another one and on top of that i mean i work full-time for fight network right well 
full-time i mean it's pandemic full-time but yeah. i got jobs man i got shit i got I think, to do so. i think the one thing that we can guarantee is at least dropping our three best prop bets for everybody at least in that i'll drop that image for us yeah. that's the least we can do for you guys but as soon as we can continue to get our schedules to line up we'll definitely always do the show whenever we can for you guys because you guys clearly hound us week after week when are you guys doing the fucking show? But we'll we'll do it as best as we can for you guys. All right, that's pretty much it for us. Uh, Wayans are pretty much kicked off five minutes ago, so let's go hop on over to there and see who is actually going to be making a way to a couple questionable people that we're going to be looking at on the scales. Uh, and then tonight, as I said earlier, 9 p.m. Eastern, Ultimate Wayne Show, me, AJ, MMA betting, Brady from uh, DFS by the numbers, and my guy Liam from Liam Picks Fights. Make sure you guys join us tonight for one last breakdown of UFC Vegas 32. All right, appreciate you guys stopping by. Hit that like hit that subscribe show my guy cody some love as well on his channel and i can't wait to see what he has up his sleeve because i'm going to be heading on over there to check that out as well all right peace out guys good luck on your best this weekend and we'll hopefully see you guys next